Denny, something happened to me at work today. What happened, Greg? As you know, I work. And at work, there's paper there sometimes. Oh. I call it paperwork. <laughs> Gosh, who likes paperwork? Hate it. Uh, especially when uh, this happens, you know? You're picking up a stack of papers. Maybe uh-huh. you're trying to staple some things. I'm tracking this. Guess what? What? Sometimes that paper just nicks your finger a little bit. I had, I lost two whole drops of blood today, and I'm not at all happy about it. See, Greg, that's the exact point where I lost interest in your story. Uh, It was right at the drops of blood. Um, I'm going to be honest, I see drops of blood for breakfast. I have a far more insatiable bloodlust than just a couple drops of blood can provide okay man thank you thank you for trying but i really need to satisfy my bloodlust and that story's not really doing it for me are you saying that if i lost an unbelievable amount of blood the story would be a lot more engaging yes no that's what i call compelling storytelling well you're a bad friend Also, I have some movies you might be interested in. Oh, thank God. I didn't want to have to sit through the paper cut story. There's movies I can watch instead? You want to satiate your bloodlust? Boy, Boy, howdy. These are movies for... (laughs) Shut up. These are movies for when you want to satisfy, satiate? What did we land on? I don't remember. Your bloodlust. (laughs) 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 These are movies that are... Fitting with our spooky theme for October. Uh, we did zombie movies last week. There was a good amount of blood in there, but I want something maybe just blood-centric. Yeah. Maybe there's some zombies. Maybe there's some demons. Maybe there's some weirdo slipknot bikers. I just want to see some blood on the screen, hitting the camera, hitting the characters, covering their faces. All of it. Give me the blood. Give me the blood, Lord. What are the three movies, Denny? (laughs) Um, The three movies we're doing this week are Brain Dead slash Dead Alive, depending on what country you live in, the 2013 remake of Evil Dead, and our surprise mystery third movie. Drumroll sounds. Mandy! Mandy! Mandy, we're doing it. It's finally happening. It's in this episode. Not sooner, not later. At the end of the episode. Time code in the description. Great song, man. Thank you. I wrote it myself. Yeah, our our apologies to our fans that had suggestions. Um, we we kind of opened the floor for ideas for movies for when you want to satisfy your bloodlust, and we 
I don't know. There was there wasn't anything we really were falling in love with, and we've been wanting to talk about Mandy basically since before the podcast even yes. started. Um, this this really fit the bill, and I think really caps off a fun episode for three movies that seems like everybody loves. We had a few suggestions for a couple of these, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, they, everyone they wants mentioned. these movies. Well, and I was also kind of scared of some of the suggestions because like. There's stuff like Cannibal Holocaust, which I'm not going to watch because there's actual cruelty to animals in it. Uh, but also, I didn't feel like I could narrow it down. And then it just, you know, like, it, they were all a lot of great great suggestions that people chimed in with. Mm. And then it just suddenly hit me. I was like, Greg, we've been saving Mandy for a special occasion. And it really, really fits this theme. And we need a third movie. What better time? It's the right call. That's right. In the words of the great Rage Against the Machine, what better podcast episode than here? What better place than now? (laughs) I don't remember. Dude, I'm ready to start chopping it up, bleeding all over the audio. Let's do these bloodlust movies. I'm in a good mood today. I'm usually in a really bad mood when we record and I gradually get happier as the podcast goes on, but I'm starting off strong in a good mood right now. We're in the same boat. Uh, We ate tacos and watched an episode of The Sopranos, and I'm drinking beer out of a fake Stanley Cup while the hockey season is currently starting on my other screen, so... This is a very good night, and we're talking about three movies that I have been dying to talk about Woo! for a while now. Woo! So, Greg, what are we starting off with today? Uh, we're going to go in... We kind of landed on going in a chronological order again, uh, starting with the earliest. It's just kind of shaped out this way. We're going to start with Braindead slash Dead Alive, 1992's uh, film from Peter Jackson. You may know him from King Kong. And nothing else. Um, also, also some uh, Harry Potter movies. But yeah, Dead Alive slash Brain Dead. This was your pick, right? Yes. So why don't you uh, summarize this movie for us, if you could, pretty please, Denny. Absolutely. So um, it all starts off when a guy who sure looks a lot like Peter Jackson is on Skull Island where King Kong lives. I'm not joking, it's Skull Island. Um, It says so in the movie. Um, Not making a joke. (laughs) And um, he decides to be very racist to some indigenous peoples and steal an evil cursed monkey so it can be at the New Zealand Zoo. But he gets bit by the monkey, so they chop him right up. That's what you get for being racist, you old white sack of shit. Um, Sengaya! Yeah, what they said. Um, What they said. So then we cut to a story of two young, odd couple lovers. We have Lionel with some really big confidence issues and definitely a mama's boy uh, in a very not charming codependent way. And what was the what was the female lead's name? Uh, Michaela. Michaela. I can't remember. remember. They said Lionel like 50 times. That's why it stuck with me. Yep. Uh, you keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay. Talkity talk, talk, talk. I remember women's. They're names. in love. Please continue. Uh, 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 uh. It is Diana. What? No. Paquita. The actress's name is 
Diana Penoliver. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. So anyways, um, her grandma does some like tarot-esque readings and tells her she's going to fall in love with a guy who makes a cross symbol and then Lionel makes a cross symbol. But there's only one problem. They went to the zoo in a very meet cute moment and Lionel's codependent, narcissistic, abusive mom followed them there and she got bit by the evil, cursed rat monkey. Oh, uh, which no. I really wanted to save this movie for movies for when you wanted to see a rat monkey, but I couldn't think of two more. Um, <laughs> so Help us out, audience. Basically, she gets like uh, just fully living, dead, decaying, zombified. The virus spreads. Hilarity ensues. And there is just blood everywhere as poor Lionel tries to maintain his newfound relationship and maintain the lie that he doesn't have four undead people living, fucking, and eating each other in his house. Is that a, is that a good synopsis? Pretty good. Cool. Yeah, dude, that uh, you've nailed it. Greg, what is your relationship with this movie? Um, I saw it once, I believe... 10 or 12 years ago uh roommate at the time jordan showed it to us and that was a fun time it was super <laughs> yeah it's it's like one of those peak horror comedy mm-hmm. kind of movies and you're just it's always funny to see like a director's work before the work that got them big and there is no bigger juxtaposition than Peter Jackson yeah. with King Kong versus uh, Dead Alive. <laughs> you keep refusing to acknowledge what he's known for, and I love it, um, <laughs> dude. If you watch, if you watch any of Peter Jackson's earlier work, it doesn't get any more clear how he like got trusted with hundreds of millions of dollars by major studios. How the fuck are they going to give me these movies? They seen my wick. <laughs> Um, At least I read the books. All right, go on. Sorry. (laughs) My relationship with this movie is uh, a couple years ago, Vanessa and I watched it as part of our movie list because I had always seen the VHS cover at Blockbuster Mm. um, and never, Mm -hmm. never watched it as a kid. And enemy of the show, Davis Kauk, told me he thought I'd really like it. So we put it on our list. Um, Dude, fireworks went off in our brains. Like, it was just like such a like beloved holy shit i am mesmerized by this display of senseless violence um and we like were so excited we showed it to our friends colby and Kristen a couple days later like rewatched it almost immediately and they were by no means enthused <laughs> it was like <laughs> do, do you, i mean they didn't hate it but like i don't were... see i don't see her having a terrific time well, we were just going on and on about how awesome it was. And it was one of those times where, like, it was, like, afternoon, not really a great time to watch a movie. And I think everyone kind of realized they weren't into watching any movie. Um, any movie about 15 minutes in, but no one wanted to say, let's turn it off. Um, so it was just kind of an awkward, like, we, like, just praised it to high heaven. And they were like, well, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> when it was over and uh, I'll be honest I've liked it a little less each time I've watched it because as those fireworks are no longer firing because I've never seen it before 
I'm more and more aware that it's not objectively a fantastic movie, but more panders to my specific interest. But uh, mm-hmm. it'll it'll always have a place in my heart for that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, quick side note, um, based on what you said in the beginning of your uh, connection there, mm-hmm. we need to do an episode on movies for when you weren't allowed to rent the movie at blockbuster and just like pick the covers we saw as kids that we never got to watch as kids because i've got uh i've got one incredibly good pick that i cannot wait to disclose i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you in a little while but i know there's a few it's not gonna be a good movie (laughs) it's showgirls uh (laughs) not far off (laughs) not far off Oh my god! <laughs> we'll leave it at that for now, but because this is a great idea, let's let's absolutely do that movie. Uh, I'm gonna get a pen and write that down real quick. Um, yeah, let's just jump into the notes here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a whole ton Don't of worry. notes on this one. I I know you're gonna have a lot. Um... <laughs> my first is this. So. When we ask, uh, so Vanessa and I went through a phase where we got really into watching Peter Jackson's early work. Um, we watched this, we watched Bad Taste, and we watched Meet the Feebles, which is just the literally the darkest shit I've seen in my entire life to the point that it wasn't even fun. Um, and I think you can draw this connection because he made such off-the-wall shit constantly, but he was also very clearly an extremely ambitious and extremely dedicated filmmaker mm-hmm. and so when you put those things together you're it's it makes sense that you're like hey this guy give him a hundred million dollars and a proven concept he made dead alive with what like ten dollars like what do you think the budget <laughs> was for you know like it's a cheap looking movie and it's still got a whole lot of charm and personality and so while the content of the movies is a bit of a like how the fuck did this guy get to make lord of the rings um i think when you look at like his greg greg just learned uh (laughs) sorry i mistakenly said lord of the rings i meant king kong um how did they let this guy just be friends with jack black and make king kong um that's right i think it makes sense when you see the level of ambition and dedication his like stupid ridiculous early movies took uh i don't know thoughts feelings reactions to that statement oh that's totally valid um i can't say i've seen any of the other ones um but man you you really feel like the the passion that goes behind a project like this and it's it's one thing for the director to have those kinds of ambitions and dreams and just like off the wall ideas and it's another to clearly be able to tell that everybody involved was also on board with those same dreams and ambitions yeah and that's the vibe i get here yeah it's like the the spirit of the movie is like undeniable yeah and endlessly fun well yeah and like you look back at like so he made bad taste which is almost incoherent but kind of impressive when you think of the context him and his friends made it on weekends over four years you know like that's the like level of follow-through these low-budget passionate filmmakers had it's just unlike all the lame people who make serious dramas they wanted to make like hokey schlock um (laughs) and like meet the feebles uh i'm gonna tell a quick meet the feeble story actually because bff of the show chris boyd will appreciate it and uh, he hasn't gotten a shout out in a while um so 
we were watching Meet the Feebles. We made a whole night of it. It's a DVD that's kind of hard to come by. Um, Chris wanted to see it with us, but he couldn't come. Um, so I lent it to him afterwards. Um, and, like, I watched everyone I watched it with was like, yo, I'm pretty jaded and desensitized, and this is really not okay with me what i'm seeing you know um so chris chris texted me that night and like i went through a lot of hoops to get the dvd um because i really wanted to own it and it's 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 not easy to come by at a decent price at least um he texted me that night and was like dude i watched five minutes of that and turned it off and went to bed um and then the next morning he was like dude please don't be mad but like bijou ate the dvd case bijou is his dog um and it was such a dark fucked up movie that i was like chris i'm totally fine with it and i think your dog destroyed a cursed object like it needed to be gone so that's (laughs) um do or don't watch meet the feebles if i if you have a more morbid curiosity than i do which i have a lot um man what do you think of the rat monkey, Greg? What do you think of our cursed rat monkey that was made by that... rats from a slave ship fucking monkeys on Skull Island in canon? <laughs> well, it looks exactly how you would expect, given that description. Mm-hmm. Um, damn. It's, that's, it's the first introduction of just how wild this movie's going to get. And it it's like... You get the feeling that these were the only it's like a super shoddy stop motion kind of puppet yeah it's it doesn't look fantastic at all no but it's also like made to look creepy scary sound super gross and you're just like that's the level of commitment we're getting here we're not really meant to be scared of it yeah per se but we're supposed to definitely be um having fun with it yeah, the, the stop what motion a... really could have used a few more frames, but I still liked it because I like stop motion. But there were like, it was like, dude, y'all went through the trouble of doing stop motion and like just could have added like a couple more in between positions. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're already there and there's some just like real clear jumps in its positioning. Not even like, uh, not even just like sloppy stop motion, but it's like, oh, that just <laughs> movement doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, I guess they only had uh, a certain amount of time to film in the Auckland Zoo, so... Makes sense. I'm going to keep doing the accent. I don't care who, Makes a lot who of gets sense. their... Brit. Who gets their feelings hurt. Jemaine, prison. I could drink a whole glass of beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, I did like... Um, what's Sorry, what's our protagonist's name again? Lionel. Uh, Lionel, sorry. I was like, kept wanting to start with an I for some reason. Um... One of our introductions with him, he's just a super awkward, clumsy guy, not a lot of confidence. Um, when his love interest begins approaching him, he nervously jumps back into the street and hops on a trolley. And one of my favorite ways to avoid an awkward situation is to just accidentally hop backwards onto a trolley and act like you were trying to get there. It's the perfect escape route. He's like, ah, seamless. What's she going to do? Chase the trolley? Exactly. It should look crazy. <laughs> so, something I really loved about this movie, and one of the only things that I thought, like, anchored it to some sort of emotional resonance in any way, um, it really captured the manipulation tactics 
of a narcissistic and codependent parent who wants to own their child. Um, the dynamic with him and his mom was like the one shred of actual relatability and some form of stakes in the real world that this uh -huh. movie had. And I want to give him some credit because uh, not a lot of movies really accurately capture the complexities of that relationship dynamic. And this one really did to me. I thought it was it was very well done, very, very informed. Yeah, if you uh, sneak around the zoo spying on your son, you're going to get bit by a rat monkey eventually. So Absolutely. There are consequences to being <laughs> this sort of parent. A cautionary tale. Mm-hmm, if there ever was one. I think the moment that I knew all bets were off in this movie is when she's sick from the rat monkey bite, um, and then the what the WLWL league yep, comes over. that's it. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what it stands for. Um but she's like trying to put on her makeup and then she just like nonchalantly peels her cheek off and like, yeah. i was just like oh so it's that kind of movie huh <laughs> it really lets you know what was going down the tone of scenes like that is just like well strap in it's about to get a lot uh i don't want to say worse i'll just say it, there's about to be a lot more <laughs> yeah this yeah. is just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> Yep. Dude, all this being said... Excuse me. All this being said, I had a really tough time watching this movie this time for whatever reason. Um, I think I was just really bothered. Like, for the first hour or so, there's something about my brain that hates stuff like ASMR. Mm -hmm. I cannot stand it. It makes me insanely uncomfortable and I can't stand it, and I don't understand why people like it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. The squishing and peeling and, like, smacking sound effects that accompany, like, all the really tiny kind of, like, moments of, like, body horror in this movie, especially for, like, the first hour. Like, I had to stop watching, like, three or four times. I watched this over the course of like three days. Me too. So I, I just didn't want to listen to that kind of stuff because it just it just grates me for some reason. Dude. And first, you know, we we've praised a lot of movies that have done like really, um, really fun practical effects. Mm -hmm. I just think the sounds kind of push it over the edge for me to make it like way too uncomfortable to really enjoy it. I still love the spirit of those scenes, but it, it made it tough for me to really, like, sit through uh, comfortably. Man, I, I can't fault you at all for that, because this is such a gross movie. Like, it's just, like, a disgusting, gross, nasty movie um, where just, like, everything is just as, like, disgusting as it could possibly be. There's, mm -hmm. like, pudding coming out of slit throats. <laughs> um, the grossest part to me, believe it or not, was not a body horror situation, but it was having to listen as the skeezy uncle guy, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. As he's struggling to urinate. That was, for whatever reason, <laughs> that was too much for me, but the rest of it wasn't. <laughs> uh, the laundry list of things that were intended to gross you out, here's like a little kind of a childish one and it's just like this is, yep. you lost me pete yep <laughs> uh, 
man. I, I I totally get you. It's it's a movie that the intention is to gross you out. Like I'm not gonna say like ah, oh, they lost me for these bad choices. Like they were trying to gross people out in a number of ways, and some were just more successful than others for me. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, man. Um, what do you think of the the weird undead baby that was the result of undead fucking? <laughs> um it's in it's perfectly aligned with the spirit of it this it's again the sounds i'm not really like a huge fan of yeah but man just like the idea and the imagination behind that and it's a much better puppet than the uh, uh rat monkey yeah like it's it's at a funny prop it's a funny puppet um it does a bunch of funny and heinous shit like just the idea of it is disgusting and the way it's fleshed out no pun intended is is um fits with the tone of the film in a really fun way as much as i hate it i also love it (laughs) it kind of reminded me of uh the baby from dinosaurs but uh (laughs) i i had a fun note of trivia about the baby um from dinosaurs well no um i'm sure there's fun trivia about that baby um (laughs) No, so believe it or not, this movie finished $45,000 under budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Peter Jackson took the $45,000 and spent two days... Bought chairs for the whole office? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, spent, he spent two days shooting that scene where Stupid. Lionel is taking the baby to the park. <laughs> like trying. That's to why it felt so different. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I was like... It was another thing I was kind of thinking, like, man, this just seems like a series of sitcom setups every once in a while. I don't think that scene felt out of place with the movie, but it just felt like it felt like it was part of a completely different week of shooting. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and it was. That tracks. And it I, was funny. But it was funny, though. It was I, good. I thought it was kind of out of place, actually. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? But it was a good time, I suppose. And I just want you to know that a teacher's salary went into that two minutes of fucking around with a stroller with a puppet in it a teacher's annual salary went into that at the time that's probably three teacher's salaries yeah real talk real talk my man sorry teachers we love you uh (laughs) dude what about so this movie really had it all like it had like a spooky science lab with goo and green vials um Mm -hmm. it had a it had a coffin flop that was pretty nice. <laughs> we can show them nude because they ain't got, got no, no souls. souls. Um, dude, <laughs> that funeral scene <laughs> followed by the graveyard scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> so what a one-two punch. <laughs> You've randomly got a kung fu pastor <laughs> just starts beating the shit out of thugs. He kicks ass for the Lord, man it's so good and i honestly thought the ending shot of that fight scene with like the dude impaled on a on a on a gravestone statue with its arm going up and Mm -hmm. the pastor standing strong i was like that's actually kind of artful that's a a really cool (laughs) piece of expression right there dude uh i did appreciate that that well that scene did have a lot of return of the living dead vibes and we got graveyard punks once again baby Mm -hmm. they're back who doesn't love that? Man. Funeral I, home directors. 
I say we skip all the bullshit and just cut to the last 20 minutes of this movie because that's where all the talking points really are. That's where I really got engaged with it. All yeah. the sounds really stopped bothering me because I felt like it matched the grotesque and intense and insane and hilarious violence that bloodied up the screen for the last 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, that was... <laughs> they were just rapid-firing excessive gore after excessive gore in new and creative ways that mm -hmm. were just always always just like just when you think you've seen everything you could see they up the ante <laughs> like they they up the ante <laughs> with like the lawnmower the blender the lights uh and then holy shit that fantastic freudian mother animatronic that really tied the central metaphor of the theme all together or was it a puppet or what? Like the 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 titty monster at the end. I, I, I would say a puppet, yeah. Man. A large was, puppet. It was fucking rad. It was so yeah. cool. It's like every idea for that scene was accepted. Nothing got left on the cutting room floor. Nothing got left even on the drawing board. Everything was carried through and it wasn't just like yeah we'll include it it was like we're going to carry this through so well and with so much care and with the same level of enthusiasm as all of our better ideas yeah like it's <laughs> one of the, like it's just like a bunch of quick hits of like insane violence like you'll you'll forget about them because i bet you forgot the one where the zombie like punched that woman through the back of their head and reach through her mouth from the back to attack somebody else and ragdolled her body around. It's the coolest shit. It's so funny. I mean, I was watching that and just being like, how the fuck did they finish $45,000 under budget? Like, what? What was the budget that they had money to spare and did all this shit? Like, that's insane. I got I got to look up the budget again. I should have looked up the budget for this movie and the other ones too. But man, it's just, I don't know how they finished under budget. They're probably like they probably were more under budget. They just keep realizing like no, we can do more <laughs> fake blood. No, we can do that scene you talked about. Let's let's start shooting it. Oh man, I just read uh, the budget was three million, and uh, the worldwide gross was two hundred and forty-two thousand. Oh, yeah, what a this, bummer, this Pete. This lost a fuck ton of money. Get with it, people. Well, the problem part of the problem is we watched it on YouTube. You can't watch it anywhere else. It's it's the only place you can find it is on YouTube for free. It never got a DVD release. Watch it, audience. Watch it. It's not streaming anywhere. Never has been to my knowledge. Not in the it US at least. It reminded me of the old Wild West days of YouTube where you could just boot up a movie or show yeah. episode, whatever you wanted. Was literally everything was on YouTube. I miss it. It looked like trash, but yeah, that's why <laughs> it like, was there. I, I, I had some issues. I even mentioned how cheap it looked, but I don't even know if that's like because it was uploaded on YouTube off of VHS. So I didn't really want to harp on it too much. <laughs> you know, like that's... It might have been better looking, and I just haven't seen it, so... YouTube didn't give me the 4K quality I was really looking for? <laughs> for my 1992 low-budget <laughs> horror movie? As, uh, as I was watching it, I had a thought of, like, that mansion, and I was like, 
this is the ghost tour that Tim Robinson thought he was going on. Like, all of his ghost tour questions would have been oh appropriate God. if they were touring this house. I'm like, not trying to get a laugh. <laughs> not trying to have anyone have a worse day at the job. But any of these... Fucking zombies... <laughs> ever pop out of the wall... And have, like, a huge cum shot. <laughs> um, man... That's for you, Denny. <laughs> Thank you. One other person might laugh at that. I, I, it's gaining traction. I think I think a lot of people will laugh. Um, if you uh, laughed at that, uh, tell us that you watch I Think You Should Leave in the comments of something we post. I don't know. Um, <laughs> text me, baby. <laughs> Man, this is another one. We've had a couple like this where I'm like, I could itemize the things I liked, but I don't even really have thoughts on them. It would just be me being like, hey, Greg, you remember... Remember when they 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 used the lawnmower like a blender? That's I right. Pretty that. iconic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't have anything to say, and so You're like, yep, that was fun. I wouldn't have anything to add either. It's just like, yeah. yeah, I do, and it was great. Yeah. I liked it like you did. So I would say go watch the movie. Uh, you know, my, my my one big critique is, I just think somehow it was missing that big time feel. You know, that just makes it. Yeah, you know, I I feel like all the ingredients are there. But there's a missing X factor that just ties it all together, and I don't know what it is. Okay. That's, you know... I'm, I'm ready to get into gimmicks other than that. Do you have anything else? Uh, not especially. We can we can gimmick it up. Cool. Uh, this is a short one. It's it's an hour, 45-minute watch. It's like we said, just, just go to YouTube and yeah. watch it. It's a ton of fun. You're going to have a lot of fun with it if you're into just the ultraviolence. Uh, speaking of ultraviolence, Denny, what is our gimmick for this, this week? Well... Since she was known for, amongst other atrocities, banning violent movies, this week we are having the Margaret Thatcher Memorial Moment of Excessive Violence for each movie. Margaret Thatcher, if I ever go to the UK, I'm going to piss on your grave, you dirty old sack of shit. Rest Margaret, Margaret Thatcher memorial you texted it to me and i forgot it so in my notes i have stuff like margaret etc and then i have cole and then my pick <laughs> this one i have margaret thatcher something uh i'll get i'll give you my pick it is <laughs> i don't know out of all of them this one just like this was where i turned from being grossed out to having fun it's at the um, the mom's funeral mm -hmm. and the uh funeral director pops mom's eyes back into her head <laughs> i just love that bit man like it's so funny there was just so many smart little moments like that that were hilarious um i'm gonna go with the one that just like always gets me pumping my fist in the air it's when there's a house full of ghouls and ghouls. we're in the 11th hour it looks like there's no hope and Lionel just busts in the door with a lawnmower and starts mowing down motherfuckers. Uh, it is... Pun intended? Pun intended. One there of them go. did fuck his mother. And then Lionel <laughs> had to be rebirthed by his I mother. Meant, I meant mowing them down, but oh, please. That, that was just literal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I'm going to go with that. That's just such a scene of throwing your fist in the air and shouting, fuck yeah. It's just so cool, man it's 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 terrific 
Um, that's that's the major one. I would have picked that. I thought you might have, and I thought an audience um, pick would have said the same thing. But damn, <laughs> there's a reason for it. It's just so good, it's so, so cool. Good. What's uh, what's your favorite line, Gregoru? Ooh, my favorite line. <laughs> I have to open IMDb again because I forgot this character's name. <laughs> uh, female character. What's her name? Lakita. Lakita? Yeah. Well, first of all, she's referenced by Gross Uncle, so my runner-up line is... He's he's a man with my own taste. Latin, eh? <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Uh, but my favorite one is Lakita saying... Your mother ate my dog! <laughs> Not all of it. That was a narrow runner-up for me. Like, that's how good that line is. And I think it was my favorite the past two times I watched it. Because, so like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that line. That's my favorite line. And then, for some reason, it just hit me different this time. I'm going with... I kick ass for the Lord. I mentioned it because <laughs> I had a feeling. Oh, so good. It's so fucking good and just random and silly and unexpected. It's so awesome. <laughs> just like and it we, leads into one of the more fun scenes too. Oh, absolutely. We we need more we need more jacked tactically trained pastors kicking ass in movies. It's so and real life. Cool. Yes. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> they Denny, tend to hang around a lot of youth. Uh, <laughs> um, what's your critic score here? Um, this is an example of my recency bias um, that I had to adjust. I originally had this at a 44, and when I opened it up, I was like, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> like, this is not, <laughs> like, this is not up there with the all-time great movies ever made. I was just excited. So, I've alluded mm -hmm. to my recency bias a lot. Uh, I'm aware of it, and uh, I, had to, I had to lower it lovingly, of course, to a 37, which honestly still might be a little bit generous, but I, I think it's fitting, especially, like, so... I talked about before how I, like, don't excuse the it was good for its time thing because mm -hmm. I can show you a movie from 1931 that's timeless. You know, like, um, so I don't really reward good for its time, but I do reward innovation. You know, like, mm -hmm. if you were trying new things that were just next level, um, this movie was for a long time the record holder for most fake blood used on set until 2013 when it was dethroned. Um and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a little bump. I think for what it lacks in narrative quality, it really makes up for in charm, bits that work, and just... Uh, oh, fuck, I've said the word. What, what, what is it? Not innovation. Um, ambitiousness. Ambitiousness. Ambition? I'll, I'll give them some credit for the ambition. Yeah, 37. Yeah, there we go. Dude, well said. Um, my score... I did the exact same thing. I looked it up from when I had... Uh, rated it years back and I had it much higher I had to lovingly bring it down because I was like I had fun but it's not that great I think uh, the gross out stuff especially the audio kind of turned me off um, and said it many times I'm a man of my word I gotta dock points again because we had a dog death well, I'm giving this <laughs> shut up I'm giving this one a 24 out of 40 which is a 6 out of 10. That's pretty fair. 
I as much as I don't really love too much of like the first hour or so I'm just enamored with the spirit of the movie and like you're saying just the ambition and the creativity and it felt like everybody involved making it was pulling in the same direction yeah they all had the same vision and the same dedication to making that vision happen and I I thoroughly enjoy um being able to watch it especially for free on youtube yep i mean and without this who knows if we ever would have got that cinema classic three hour long king kong that's right this is just the uh this is the beginning can you imagine that this filmmaker who made this fucking mad cat movie was like i've got an idea for king kong what if it was (laughs) very slow and dialogue driven and you didn't see a lot of king kong (laughs) you've changed peter jackson you've changed changed. i don't even Uh, know you anymore but fortunately we got something better from him which was they shall not grow old the world war one documentary where he doctored hundreds of hours of footage of world war one uh raw footage i recommend it great documentary not I sure thought, if he's done anything else. I thought you were going to say uh, The Hobbit 3, which I think Peter Jackson, it was a career revival for him. He hadn't made anything in a while, and then he finally got to make The Hobbit 3, and everyone loved it. All right, Denny. I'm going to draw a line in the fucking sand here. Oh, God. Do not read the Latin. Mm, I'm going to read the Latin. E... Sanctonius Simlesius Editus. What have you fucking done? I've summoned the seamless edit from Whoa. the Necronomicon! Whoa. It won't burn. Uh, we're back with uh, Evil Dead. No, not that one. The, 20 th- <laughs> the 2013 version, which, um... Hey, we've got actually got a lot to say about. Uh... This is our second movie for Movies for a Win. You need to satiate your bloodlust. And uh, this one definitely does the trick. Denny mentioned that Dead Alive slash Brain Dead had the record standing for a long time for the movie with the most fake blood used until this movie came along in 2013 and uh, dethroned it, from my understanding. I did not fact that fact check this, but uh, I trust Denny uh, with everything he says. Vanessa so. told me... Blame her, nerds. Any nerds who looked it up, blame her. Actually, I appreciate you if you looked it up. That's a cool thing to do. Why am I Why am it's, I trashing you? Yeah, there you go. Fucking nerds. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something you said, and then as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, I think that's right. I think I remember that. Uh, so it's, it's probably true. It's true enough for me. It's true enough for you. Uh, this was my pick for this episode, so I'll uh, summarize it for us. Mia, she's a girl. She's addicted to drugs. She is a uh, having a second attempt at a well, we'll call it an intervention with her friends. And this time, her brother has decided to show up with his girlfriend. They're at a cabin in the woods style cabin in the woods, uh, <laughs> where they are going to isolate her from society and hopefully uh, snap her out of her drug addiction. Uh, it's revealed later on that they've tried this before to no avail. She eventually fell back to her habits. Um, 
Upon exploring the cabin, however, we find the Book of the Dead, and some long-haired guy decides to go out of his way to read the Latin, which Cabin in the Woods warned us not to do. Uh, he summons a demon that lives in the woods. It possesses Mia while she's trying to make an escape and get back to her habit in a moment of uh, withdrawal and general freaking out. Demon has possessed Mia. Everyone thinks it's part of the drug trip. People start dying one by one due to violence. Demons end up getting possessed themselves and killing each other. Uh, it's all doing as the book said, but this book won't burn, baby. It's a great movie about conquering demons, literally and metaphorically. Denny, had you seen this movie before? I had not. I had not. This was my first time watching it. How? This is your first time watching Very it? Very okay. first time cool. ever. Yep. What about you? I like, I like showing you movies for the first time. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yay! I had seen this, I want to say about three times. Uh, this is another one that Jordan... He actually recommended Brain Dead and Dead Alive to me. We watched it together. We watched Evil Dead together. I th I want to say we saw it in theaters. Um, we had seen the original Evil Dead from the 80s, and it was good. It's a lot of fun. It has like um, some good humor. It's one of those f fun, scary movies. Um, this movie takes on a completely different tone a completely different um flow of story it's it's a completely different movie entirely they lean into completely different aspects and i think for the most part they all work both are great movies and for their own reasons and there's a lot of callbacks in this one to the original but yeah i think this is maybe the fourth or fifth time i've seen it and i i get a lot of joy out of watching it every single time nice yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the Evil Dead franchise. Um, I love the OG trilogy, and I'm about halfway through Ash vs. Evil Dead. Please don't mistake it for a lack of enthusiasm. It's because I watch shows very slowly, because first of all, I like to savor them. Second of all, I get overwhelmed by the commitment of watching a show. Um, and who has the time? Who has the damn time? I love a good after work or a Saturday morning, 90-minute movie, we have closure, we're in, we're out, we either had a good time or a bad time, either way it's over. And most shows, even good ones, I get invested and then I slowly watch them become horrible. Um, so it's really <laughs> not a pleasant experience to watch most shows because I do consider myself kind of a completionist and I usually need to see it all the way through. Um, the office is a rare one that got so bad. I tapped out on it. <laughs> yeah. Usually I like, if I That's like later something, episode, I want to see it all. Um, same thing with season four of community. My, uh, my favorite show ever. And I still haven't watched all of season four. I'd like to this day, there's community episodes I haven't seen. And I have rewatched every other season over and over and over again. Um, all that goes to say. I was trying really hard to check my negativity bias at the beginning of this movie, just because I was like, beloved franchise that only works with Ash in it, and Bruce Campbell is Ash. <laughs> mm -hmm. <sighs> kind of a perfect marriage of time and place when the, when the original three were made remake in 2013. I, you know, I was, there's a reason I hadn't watched it because I was mm -hmm. like, who would want to see that? Um, I assumed it sucked, and I think I was about half right. Okay. 
Yeah, it, it, you're getting a completely, completely different experience, this movie versus the old one. Yeah. And you're getting completely different vibes and tone, like I was saying. Um, honestly, I think I had seen the original Evil Dead once before I had watched uh, this remake. Mm -hmm. And I liked the original one, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, like, in love with it. I didn't, you know, oh. hold it so highly in my heart. So you hadn't seen Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness? I had seen Evil Dead 2 once also, but I hadn't seen Army of Darkness by the time I watched this one. That makes a lot of sense. If this mm. were just a straight remake of the first Evil Dead, I think I might have had different expectations and different standards. Okay. But I couldn't view it that way, because I was looking at it as, like, the whole. You know, what Evil Dead became. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense that we would have some different takes on it. And I'm excited to chop it up with you, Greg. Let's do it. Um, once again, opening the cellar. Terrible idea. <laughs> Almost always. It, this, this feels like the exact same layout of a cabin in the woods as the cabin in the woods that is featured in the movie Cabin in the Woods. Well, I think that's what Cabin in the Woods is referencing. Um, because the evil yeah. dead are called deadites and they have deadites as an option on the board in cabin in the woods. I think mm -hmm. I picked it as my favorite nod to the audience or my favorite wink at the audience. Um, you did, uh, this, this movie actually came out after cabin in the woods, yeah. but it, it's, you know, it's laid out the same in the original and yeah. this remake. I think more than anything, cabin in the woods was most referencing evil dead, you know, like there was the most evil dead love in that movie is kind of what i thought so it makes a lot of sense yeah most definitely um uh, go ahead excuse me um yeah i guess right into plot points there's man there's no way that the the smell of all the dead animals in the in the cellar <laughs> was not noticeable until they opened the door to the cellar oh man you're way ahead of me in where I'd want to start with this movie. I have things to say way sooner than when we opened the cellar. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. But it, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a lot of the same thing of just like, why the hell did they do this? Why did they choose this? Yeah, you know... This is dumb. This is kind of a weird gap that's hard to get over. Is that kind of where you're at? Well, there's a lot. Let me start unpacking. So I was basically like... How the hell do you recast Ash? He's Ash. Like, Ash mm -hmm. is Bruce Campbell, and Bruce Campbell is more Ash than Bruce Campbell at this point. Um, that's like he's become the character. And I actually thought it was a really smart move that they chose not to recast the character that was so iconic, because uh, right. I know we don't do Star Wars, but uh, who played Han Solo in Solo? Uh, I'm looking him up. Aldrin... Ehrenreich? Ehrenreich? I don't know. I, I forgot. The dude who played Han Solo in Han Solo, or in the Solo, Solo, a Star Wars, we don't do Star Wars story. Um, I really felt for him because I thought he was in an impossible dilemma where if you mimic Harrison Ford, you're lazy. If you make it your own, you're not Han Solo anymore. You're like, yeah, you know, you're, like, you're of, selfish. Yeah, yeah. Of all the things wrong with that movie, 
I was like, you really put your lead in a no-win situation. A Kobayashi Maru. We never said we don't do Star Trek. Um, so, um, I actually thought it was a really, <laughs> thought it was a really smart move to not recast Ash because that is a character that is forever married to the actor. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a good move. Um, maybe my two year stint as an addiction counselor really colored this perception, but I thought this was the stupidest fucking premise I've seen for a movie in a long time. A fucking detox in a cabin. This isn't an intervention. This is a detox. Which okay, thank you. Um, it's you basically you you have to get the drugs out of your system, and it's just hell on earth. Um, and the best way to do it is medically. Fun fact, everyone: uh, you can't die from a heroin detox, but you can die from an alcohol detox if you don't get medical assistance. So, if you're an alcoholic, don't just try to lock yourself in a room and sober up. Go to the doctor. If you're a heroin addict, I wouldn't recommend doing that either, but you probably won't die from it. Um, But I would recommend also going to a doctor to lessen your suffering and what is a hard process that I think you're taking a very brave step if you're willing to undergo. Um, What if instead of locking myself in a room, I go out to the woods with a nurse? That was... Who's very stubborn. This fucking unethical ass nurse risking it all. Like, her license out the fucking window if anybody get winds of gets wind of this and she's not even concerned about that the whole time um like when they were when they tried to go to the hospital i was like good fucking luck explaining how this happened shitheads like you know like um i just thought it was um a very uninformed perspective i thought it was a stupid idea um and i thought it was completely unnecessary like it never mattered in any real way it was like a really 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 reaching reason for why they wouldn't notice she was a deadite (laughs) which like Mm -hmm. you didn't need that you could have thought of a million other fucking like halfway through i was like oh my god when are they gonna come up with a better excuse not to leave the cabin (laughs) you know like when are they gonna fucking part with this stupid shit well they they did they finally came up with a better reason and that was the bridge is flooded that was like two flooded bridges in yeah (laughs) they kept trying to leave and encountering these stupid fucking hackneyed obstacles which i was like how fucking hard is it to just barricade the door and be done with it like how fucking hard is it to like have the deadites hit the cars with a bazooka um but so all this goes to say um Evil Dead is very self-aware as a franchise, very winking at it, very much a uh, a sardonic, sarcastic love letter to the horror genre. They expected me to take these lame-ass actors and story beats and awful dialogue, to the point that I shouldn't even really criticize the actors, because God knows the dialogue didn't give them anything to fucking work with. Um, they expected me to take it seriously, and I kept waiting for it to be a bait-and-switch. I kept waiting for them to be like, all right, come on, let's do Evil Dead shit. This is over. Um, Man, I hated the first half of this movie, Greg. I hated it. I am shocked to learn all of this. Uh, Damn, bro. Okay. Hated it. Grating. Nails on a chalkboard. Hated it. The first half. 
the first they half. They had you in the first half. They had me in the first half. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. And that's the first half of your review. So, I didn't feel that way. I have never dealt with drug addiction or counseled those dealing with it. So I don't have any sort of perspective on these sorts of things. Um, these sorts of things are not grating. I do not have personal just undying love for the uh, Evil Dead franchise as much as I do appreciate it now. Uh, going into it the first time, I did not have that. Um, and I think that's who this movie is for, which is fine. Me? It's for me? No, I, I think it's for people who don't have an undying love of the Evil Dead franchise. Like, it, I think they were... An I think yeah, an understanding and appreciation for it and knowledge of it. So I get the winks when they do show up. Yeah. Few and far between as they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and, like, I don't even think it's, like, wrong. Like, I, I can see what they were trying to do. Um, which, dude, I fucking... Like, I wish... I would sacrifice the Dark Knight to erase Batman Begins from history and spare us ten years of the gritty reboot era of cinema. It is the most uninspired, shitty era of just mainstream movies that I've ever lived through. Um, and this was part of that gritty reboot era where we strip everything of its movie magic and make it raw and relatable and down to earth and we color correct it to bring out all the grays um like um so you're saying you didn't like the cruella movie is what i'm hearing you i didn't like it so much that i didn't see it and i let someone spoil <laughs> part of it for me and didn't even get mad and if you know me that's very rare um so um no but all this goes to say I think this was obviously an attempt to introduce a new audience to the Evil Dead property. And mm -hmm. if that's what you were going for, then this wasn't such an egregious bastardization of the franchise. Uh, and I'm also someone that when I hate when people say, like, to go back to uh, Tolkien's greatest work, The Hobbit 3. Um, or, sorry, uh, <laughs> Peter Jackson's greatest work, The Hobbit 3. Um <laughs> Tolkien had a couple unreleased <laughs> hobbits that he didn't get around to, and eventually they just became the Cimmerillion. Um, <laughs> I popped Greg with that. Um, <laughs> um, I hate when people say, like, a reboot or a sequel ruined a previous movie for them or a previous book they loved. I'm always like, hey, guess what, shithead? It's all made up. And if you don't like part of it, you can just ignore it. You know, like, I'm yeah. like, did they destroy all of the copies of The Hobbit in the world? Because that would have ruined The Hobbit. You if know? The like... <laughs> if the value of your life and the quality of your enjoyment of things in general hinges upon every iteration of the thing you like, mm -hmm. you need to have a reality check and yes. enjoy other things about life. Absolutely. Like, like, how does it get you, that inside your head that you're like, I can't I, even enjoy this other thing I like because later they did something else I didn't like. <laughs> what are you talking like, about? I, I just didn't watch the all-female Ghostbusters movie, and it was as simple as that. I just didn't see it. You don't have to see these things. And, and I'm not going to watch the ones with the Stranger Things kids. Yeah. Kid? Kids? Is there multiple of them? Uh, I don't I think know. It's just, I don't man, care. It looks I'm boring. not going to see it. It looks boring, so I'm not going to see it. 
I don't like to be bored, and the trailer looked boring. You don't have to watch the new Jurassic World movies. Yes. You just don't have to. You can completely ignore them entirely. And you know what you're getting. Okay. Like, Stay home. What do you... Is it that hard? But So all this goes to say... Thank you. I wanted... Long walk for a short drink of water. I wanted to clarify the point. Uh, it's not me saying this ruined something I love, because it absolutely didn't. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I think it was not made for people who love the Evil Dead franchise, and if so, then that's okay, because I actually know some younger people who really like this movie, I think it worked. Um, it just didn't work for me in every aspect, and it worked. It did work for me in some aspects, which we'll get into in a little bit, but man, I was, I was, a, I was not a happy Cabin in the Woods camper for the first half of the movie, and honestly... It had nothing to do with not being true to the lore or the tone. I was like, God, I hate all of this fucking shitty, drawn-out, poorly executed exposition. I just can't believe they're expecting me to, like, give a fuck about any of this. And uh, who was the the fucking long-haired guy? Jesus Christ. I pre-picked his death as my Margaret Thatcher moment, just because I was like whenever he dies you're gonna be so happy yes i hated that character so fucking much couldn't stand his bitch ass well it ended up not being my margaret thatcher moment i I, he's part of mine oh we'll get to that later but damn it's kind of hard to have too much dialogue on this when you and i feel so differently about it i think that's what's beautiful that gives us dialogue that we feel so di- sorry i'm being aggressive I'll, I'll step back greg tell me what you love about it tell me tell me your impressions of the first act <sighs> this is one of those movies where you know what's coming you know you're getting demon possession i am more blown away by the practical effects of like the stop motion when mia goes into the woods i'm more blown away by the practical stop motion effects of like the root of the tree like this root of evil in the woods going into her that's how i'll phrase that um just the practical effects in this movie are so much fun there's just always this foreboding doom that i'm not really paying that much attention to what they're saying or the story around it i'm more just like all right how are we going to get to this stuff and regardless of how much maybe i didn't love the actors or the characters that they were portraying i still felt enough of a connection to them positive or negative that allowed me to have emotional reactions in some manner to their deaths and you know what's coming you know basically everybody's going to die and you know this is going to be a bloody bloody affair so you're just waiting for that blood to happen and it doesn't disappoint i think if this was a little more conservative with the violence then i would be a lot more hesitant to really love uh the first 60 70 minutes of it but boy does it pay off it's it's just so much of a payoff for me that i'm willing to overlook anything i may feel um negatively about or bored by in the first good chunk of the movie no and like you know when we get to the practical effects let me just say 
10 out of 10 on those effects and it really it really brought me back around they were really well done and we'll we'll we'll, we'll get into that um i do want to say something nice about the first half of the movie because you know i i lost i lost context for a moment um, no i Please. just got intense i'm really passionate um bring us back i think that for all of the like stupid shit about this detox strategy and what a dumb idea it was um <laughs> i actually thought the character mia was written with a really really good understanding of addictive thinking and manipulation tactics that mm -hmm. addicts will uh you know w with empathy will be forced to employ to maintain their addiction um mm -hmm. because their brain thinks they need their drug of choice like they needed oxygen um and so i thought that the character mia was written with a really informed opinion on just those kinds of experiences and what addiction does to a person and her brother david was um was you know the codependent enabler there's always someone enabling an addiction and i think they showed that dynamic really well there were so many times when i was working in treatment where i was talking to a concerned family member and i was just like you need to tell this person no and they would be like i can't i just can't do that and i really felt that when uh, when they were like you have to make her stay here and he was like mm -hmm. if she asked me to drive her away i have to drive her away you know like right. you just feel that bond and that obligation and that inability to tolerate that person being upset with you um that you will essentially do whatever they say and they know that and they exploit that because that's what addiction does to your brain so for all the mm -hmm. shit i talked i actually thought that family dynamic and just her addictive thinking and her desperation uh, was was pretty on point. Pretty well done. Yeah. I will say, just kind of blanket statement, I loved Mia start to finish. Even when she wasn't Mia. I really liked that actress. I thought she killed it. And others. Um, she was fantastic. <laughs> and everything you were saying about that dynamic, I believed her addiction. Absolutely. So it was... It's good to hear you say that, and I think she was, um... It's kind of one of my main problems with the ending of the movie, is... She's sort of the protagonist. She's the, uh, target of everybody's attention. Yeah. She may not be always at the forefront of the story or what's going on in the screen, and then for about 30 minutes or so there, she's not even on the screen very much. She's... And if she is, she's not really Mia. She's possessed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get into the finale just yet, yeah. but in the finale, it's kind of playing out and communicated to be some sort of triumph for her. When David is really portrayed as the protagonist for the previous 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. It makes, spoilers, it makes David's death uh, much more impactful and emotional mm -hmm. but i don't feel mia's triumph as i did not feel she was like the protagonist for the majority of the film well in the beginning of the movie honestly up until she recovers from being a deadite um i thought that uh that she was the antagonist you know like mm -hmm. and it was kind of a cool story beat that they did because 
I don't really know that we're supposed to like David, but he's our fish out of water. You know, like he's yeah. the guy who hasn't been around these people. They harp on him abandoning them over and over and over again in the most on the nose ways they possibly could. Um, and so he's kind of a very unlikable guy that we're kind of supposed to see this story through his eyes. Um, to the point that when, uh, when Mia gets cured, um, which by the way, I affirm her deadite performance was spot on. Like she was really, mm -hmm. really good at that. I, I didn't love her as Mia, but I loved her as a deadite. Um, but when she gets cured, I thought that they were doing the thing where, you know, like the deadites in moments of desperation will act like the human form and, you know, like play to the pathos of, uh, of the person they're trying to manipulate. I like mm -hmm. kept waiting for that to get revealed because I thought it was like <clears throat> so obvious that that's what they were doing. And then David dies and she's still alive. And I was like, oh shit. That was the moment that I was like, oh, she for real got the demon exercised. Like, oh, mm -hmm. what? You know, like that, that was, a, it was a cool little, cool little baby face turn. Cool little twist. It was pretty tight. Yeah. Um, man. <laughs> I, I want to be done with uh, with harping on how this is not how rehab works. Um, but I, I did make a note that I just feel like really needs to be said when the nurse character said, she's getting the exact same treatment she would get in a hospital. I was like, Ooh. Jesus fucking Christ, do hospitals let detoxing patients drive cars in the rain? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is the exact same treatment she would get in a hospital. Are you fucking kidding me? Um, we knew that was kind of BS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, yeah. Weird ideas. Very, very good point. Um, so, they really added a lot of lore and rules to the Necronomicon. And it's not that it's bad that they did it, but I'm also just like, who ever saw the Evil Dead series and was like, flesh out the rules of the universe more for me. I just, I can't <laughs> this really... This book needs more chapters. I love all the gore, but I just can't understand the laws of what's happening here. Um, and that's kind of what made the Necronomicon such a fantastic device, is it's like... It's in a dead language that they can't read. So they know they summoned the dead by reading it out loud, but they don't really know what else it does. So you kind of have, like, infinite premises of what these deadites could do. Um, mm -hmm. I was just like, dude, again... Like I said, not that it's wrong. Not trying to make anybody have the worst detox of their life. <laughs> um... But uh, it's just like, I think it had a fundamental misunderstanding of what made the Evil Dead franchise cool. I think mm -hmm. it fundamentally misunderstood that. I don't know that I would, you know, be as harsh on this movie if it was just called um, Cabin Detox Gone Wrong or something. Um, you know, like, <laughs> but when you when you bring in something as iconic and beloved as the Necronomicon you invite me to bring my expectations to it right like that's not that's not a reach right that i entered this movie with an expectation 
that it would be like everything else in the three movies and three season TV series that is the Evil Dead franchise. That's really mm-hmm. not crazy that I expected that. That's not fanboy shit, right? No, that's totally fine. And then when you don't meet those expectations, and then when you do all this weird lore that no one cares about, I'm just like, why Why are you doing this? Why was this the choice? That's all I got. I don't know, man. I can't tell you why they made these choices i can only tell you how i feel about them <laughs> fair enough same here uh stupid stupid eric stupid stupid eric yeah dude that eric character when he was like there was this unintelligible book that i read and i think it's summoned the dead he completely failed to tell them that the book said like this summons satan do not read it written in english over the text that he read (laughs) don't read it don't think it don't say it that was actually kind of cool that it like it showed that like lots of people had found this over the years and regretted using it and like wrote like that was that was the opening scene too yeah that was a great scene by the way really exercise his uh his daughter Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of like Sets up that initial scene with all the cats hanging in the basement. Greg, there are blades of grass in my drink. <laughs> it keeps distracting uh, me. You have been inside this whole time. You okay, buddy? This was a clean cup. I got a solid blade of grass out, and I just sucked another one up through the straw. What? Sorry, I just I, I can't ignore it anymore. I just need to say it. You gotta get your fiber, buddy. Just like those roots got into Mia, that grass is getting into you. Jesus, did fucking Eleven mix this drink? Uh, I hope... Eleven is, a, Eleven is a dog, folks. She likes to eat grass for the taste. Boy, does she. Ooh. Um, that's my gimmick. Yeah, let's let's get into the finale here. Uh, this is where it all comes together oh, for hell me. Oh, yeah. This movie does a lot of things that I'm not too crazy about there's a lot of um jump scares where half of the scare is just the loud audio sting of the orchestra hitting a high note on a bunch of strings i don't love those um there's a lot of character development and character stories that maybe aren't as engaging as they maybe would have hoped but something about these last 15 20 minutes or so are just your eyes are just glued to the screen and this episode is needing to satiate your bloodlust and i feel like this more than delivers over delivers because at this point you're like i thought denny and greg said in that one episode that this had the uh record amount of fake blood used you find out why (laughs) there's been a lot like natalie's got nails in her face she saw she uh she knifed her own arm off there was a lot of blood there but this i feel like there's been more blood in uh, other movies i've seen before and then then we see what they're talking about yes boy do we i think that's my first boy did i no it's not um it's got to be at least a third I've, I've intentionally refrained a couple times this episode um man appreciate you this becomes a different movie for me once they just kind of go all in on the violence it just hits Mm -hmm. it it hits that fifth gear that kind of makes me want to forgive it all (laughs) like um there's there's 
notes. I'm looking through my notes. There's so much dumb shit. I put like, how many lives could have been saved if hospitals only had more duct tape? They keep fixing like mortal wounds with duct tape in this movie, which is so funny. It keeps working. Um, I don't know. I uh, I think I started having some hope at uh, at the turkey slicer bone saw sequence. Mm-hmm. And when I knew we were in a really good territory was the nail gun sequence. And I was like, oh, yeah, countdown to fuck town. Like, we, we're here. These are like, I know nail guns don't work like this, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> fuck that shit. It was awesome. I was fully aware nail guns didn't work that way the whole time. And it. And I still had fun. Yes. Well, and see, that's that's the spirit I was looking for of this is egregious and nonsensical and silly and grotesque you know like that's that's the special spot i was looking for them to hit and they eventually hit it um so do you remember when we did the thing and we talked about how cool it is that instead of dicking around when they realized they were up against some sort of ethereal threat they were just like flamethrowers and guns i want them all um Mm mm-hmm the equivalent of that in this movie that I really wish they'd done, once they understood the Necronomicon, I wish they would have just been like, Cats! Gather all the cats! We don't fully the know this! says cats! We know we need a lot of dead cats to solve this problem! <laughs> <laughs> I really wish they'd done that. Oh. Yeah. Man. If, if only. But... We did run around with some uh, machetes and stuff. Yeah. Dude, uh, once once Mia snaps back to reality... Oh, um, there goes gravity. Oh, there went gravity. Mom's spaghetti. Uh, once she unearths herself for Mom's spaghetti, uh, I think the, two, the movie takes a turn for the better. With our... Uh, it sucks that David dies blowing up the house. It sets the uh, cabin on fire. Yep. But he takes down some of the demon um, vessels with him. Yeah. He's no longer the protagonist of the story. That kind of transfers over to Mia. And Slayer fans rejoice because it's now raining blood. We get all of that fake blood that we were promised. Mm -hmm. And the violence that goes along with it. Yes. We get... Man. So... Just, sorry go ahead go ahead go ahead i'm i'm done I, I i will say this knowing that this had uh the record for most fake blood used in a movie there's a point earlier in the movie when uh they like establish this rule that once he devours five souls um blood will rain from the skies and i mm-hmm. had this like moment of intense excitement that i was like oh my god that's what's going to be the fake blood that's where it's all going to come in I'm gonna get to see, like, this is Chekhov's fake blood rain. Fake blood's gonna rain down from the skies. (laughs) Like, I just, I just knew that's what was gonna happen because I knew they used a fuck ton, and then they said that, and I was like, no, no way. Um, I will say, it was unfortunate that for large portions of it, all that fake blood looked a lot like regular rain. (laughs) You know, like that was kind of a bummer that it didn't fully capture the effect of blood raining from the skies on film 
but when it did look like blood it was really cool Dude, yeah when it's neat. landing when it's landing on the demon's back when it's like steaming because it's warm blood like there's just a lot of visual effects that you're, you're right when it is kind of darker in the scenes it's a little harder to tell that it's blood mm -hmm. But then they get some interior shots where you can tell they're just drenched in red. Yeah. And then outside for that finale where the fire is burning a little bit brighter, we can see a little bit better. We get our Deus Ex Chainsaw Um oh. It's it's some of my it's probably the my favorite two minutes of any horror film is Mia. Spoilers again. Mia pulling her own arm off, engaging the chainsaw, and chainsawing that bitch back to hell. It is some of the most satisfying violence, and those are the that's the moment that satiates my bloodlust completely. Yep. It makes the entire film worth it. It makes me feel something that not a lot of movies can. And it's such a hard hard thing to describe where it's just like a moment of violence gives you like emotional satisfaction and like closure i don't think a horror movie can ever do that again for me i and that's what that's the moment that i think is so special about this movie i'd have to agree with you there greg um i don't know if it's my favorite moment ever but i i found it very satisfying and i want to walk you through my journey with this chainsaw um please there's a point i think it's the character david he's in the shed and looking for a weapon and yes, they pan yes. to the chainsaw and then pan away from it and i actually was like that moment right there is exactly how i feel about this movie it's an evil dead movie that finds a chainsaw in the shed and looks to something else and then finds the hammer instead exactly yeah, yeah. and i thought that's what that's all we were going to get from it you know um, and then Mia gets the chainsaw and I was like, okay, okay, okay. We're building up a little bit. Then her hand gets caught under the car and I'm like, don't break my heart. Don't fucking break my heart. Don't you dare amputate a hand while a chainsaw is in play. If you don't plan to deliver on it, you know, like I was like, <laughs> I've, I've had a real roller coaster with this movie and I'm a little... I, I, I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to be hurt by this scene that they're clearly teasing and playing on my expectations. Then when her hands ripped off, I'm like, oh, we're almost there. She jams it into the chainsaw handle, and I was like, oh, sweet release. Like, we are... They knew what they were doing the whole time. That was really, really great. And then that just, like extended cut of her jamming the chainsaw into the demon's head i was just like man you know what if it was 90 minutes of this we'd be best friends right now me and evil dead 2013 like That's that right. was such <laughs> a great climax to the movie man such a great yeah, climax it's the equivalent to like your favorite guitar solo. Like you gotta you gotta listen to the whole song mm. before you hit that moment, otherwise it won't hit quite as hard. Yeah. And that moment hits so hard. Yeah. It's just like blood is raining from the sky. You get your Evil Dead satisfaction callback. You're getting Mia's scream of just like <laughs> 
She could have said, you're terminated, fucker, and I would have been really happy. <laughs> that would have fit. Similar energy. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah. The emotional peak of the movie is also the visual peak of the movie, and that's incredibly special, and it's something that I would not expect to find in a horror movie. Absolutely, and I love that after it happened, they show that the rain stopped, and then they just went to credits. Like, they didn't yep. show how she processed all of this or try to make us care about anything. They just did the thing and got the fuck out of Dodge, which was the right call in every way. That was a good yet call. An, yet another good roll credits. Yep. Uh, Denny, we've discussed this movie at length. What is your Margaret Thatcher memorial moment of excessive violence for Evil Dead 2013? We already talked about it. It's that chainsaw kill. That was just... that, And for... I talked a lot of shit about this movie. There were like 10 other great Margaret Thatcher moments, you know, like just like truly great. Some that we didn't even cover. Um, they, for, for what they lacked in narrative exposition and understanding of the tone of what, uh, what the evil dead source material contains, boy, did they make up for it in terms of, uh, Man, just some of the all-time best practical effects I've ever seen. Like, they just, yeah. like, they nailed it, <coughs> pun intended, with the practical effects. Hey. And that, honestly, not even the best practical effect, the chainsaw kill, but definitely the best moment of excessive violence. And that's why mm -hmm. it gets the Margaret Thatcher Memorial Award from me. What about you? I knew you were going to pick that, and I knew that was going to be everybody's pick. And that's honestly the best one. Yeah. But I did want to use my pick to give some special love to uh, one of my favorite practical effects, which was uh, when Natalie, uh, the blonde girlfriend, is swinging the crowbar at Eric, and hit, she hits him like right here between the fingers, and his oh, hands split. Oh, that was so sick! That was that's, so that's, sick! And up before before the chainsaw moment you're like that was the oh my god they really did that moment yeah. and it's so cool and it also happened to a way. character i passionately hated <laughs> so it all worked out i knew you'd like that yeah no that was a great moment um greg what's your favorite line um my runner-up has to be when Mia first gets possessed. First of all, demon possession movies. This one did it right. They're not just in there flickering lights. They're not in there pushing a lamp over. They're not here to, like, give you a little scratch on the shoulder. They're here to kill you. Yeah. And when she gets possessed and she's screaming and the door slams shut and you're hit with silence and Mia says, you're all going to die tonight. Ah. Bone chilling. That was good shit. But... My favorite one is once she gets back from the woods and she's whispering. To, I don't think she's fully possessed yet. She whispers to David, there was something in the woods, David, and I think it's in here with us now. Just the audio in that scene and the way she whispers that and, like, the fear in her voice, it just, it's so cool. Yeah. It's incredible. Mine was uh, not a spoken line. Um but a written line and it was honestly one of the only moments in the movie that i thought was really true to um the spirit of the franchise which was uh she can't turn on the chainsaw 
and then she finds a bottle labeled chainsaw gas on a shelf like two shelves <laughs> up that was it's just blue powerade <laughs> yeah labeling the blue powerade chainsaw gas was uh was my favorite line so i'll go with that some real michael jordan secret stuff yes little stuff there yes yeah. absolutely um no nah, that's a really good one um yeah what's your what's your score on this one it is a 28 which basically in my criticer the uh the high rating the high 20s is usually something that i had some problems with but also at the end of the day liked um mm -hmm. for the record i gave the same rating to friday the 13th part six so those of you who know my love for Friday the 13th and Part 6, it's something that, that hit some buttons for me, but ultimately I can't say was a passing grade as a movie. But it's it's not like a fuck this, I hated it's garbage movie, and I feel like I, I came on really strong with that at the beginning. So I, I gave mm -hmm. it a 28. Well, mine's pretty different. This is a shocking sort of realization for me with like just how much I liked this movie and how much I got out of it and like how easy it is for me to overlook the problems that I do have with mm -hmm. it. While they're different from yours, they are issues that I do have with the movies. Um, including, and it's happened again this episode, docking points for a dog death. Yep. I'm still giving this one a 36 out of 40. Ooh, no way! Damn! I, I have I have that much fun watching it. I wish I gave you more space to talk about how much you loved it. I feel like I took up a lot of air talking about problems I had with it. I didn't know you liked it that it's, much. It really is like... like I, I kind of summarized it already when I kind of compared it to a song where that has just like a killer guitar solo. Yeah you're you're listening to the whole song and you're just kind of along for the ride grooving along knowing that something incredible is coming and then you're hit with something incredible like that was the that was the peak of it that's all i needed i only needed two or three minutes for all that build up to be worth it and the build up itself wasn't that disengaging for me that i had to dock it anything i think um, like you said, I'm kind of in the target audience of not having like a huge affection for the original films, mm -hmm. but still having an understanding for it. So when we do pan to the chainsaw and like cut away from it real quick, I'm like, ah, you cheeky, mm -hmm. uh, s s little stuff like that. I do understand, but it's not hurting my feelings. Yeah. So I'm getting a lot more out of it than i ever expected to really and even on this rewatch i hadn't seen it in years i still had a ton of i just had a blast watching it dude rock on man and i i, I hope that i uh i didn't invalidate that by coming at it so hard i would never want to squash something you love i don't know you 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 have such a different perspective from the the uh source material and the uh kind of new material presented like the kind of the crux of the plot itself yeah. We have such different perspectives on those things that I, I'm not like invalidated by it. It's like I just I don't understand those things. I don't see the see things that way. And you don't need to. They were just it's different perspectives are valid. And uh, you know, and I, I will clarify. For me, this is essentially two movies. The first one encapsulated everything I hate about modern horror, 
and the second one encapsulated everything I wish modern horror was. So, there you know, you like, it's it's a real, real split the difference for me. So, again, I, I feel like if you just listened to this episode, you'd probably think I came off as, like, this is wipe your ass with it garbage, and that's not how I feel about the movie. I just get very passionate about some things, and I was very passionate about my problems with the first half. You know, but, like, they really, really fucking... Uh, tickled my horror bone, uh, which is uh, unfortunately the name of my penis. With the second half of this movie, do you like the Carpenters? I think they're fantastic, but I prefer. Oh, sorry. No, fuck. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. All right. Yeah. 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 All right. <clears throat> All right. Let's have a second of silence so I know the edit. Hey, Greg. Yeah. Do you like the Carpenters? No. Well, I think they're sensational. But this is even better. Seamless edit! This is you? You're the one seamless editing? Yes. <laughs> Don't fucking look at me, Denny. As you may have guessed by that totally uh, famous <laughs> quote, standout line and moment from the film, we're here to do our third pick, break glass in case of emergency. Been thinking of doing it since before the podcast began. The one and only Mandy, 2018's Nicolas Cage feature trip I just experience I just want to take a moment to soak it in that this is where all the choices in my life have led, have led me to this moment in time where I am discussing Mandy with you Greg on a podcast I am our lives have led up to this moment I am so happy God bless the broken road that led me to this moment, Greg. I am so happy that we're doing this movie. You have no idea. When you bought me the DVD for Christmas that year, Christmas 2018, I was thrilled and ecstatic to watch it. I thought I was getting something that we had seen a million times. I thought we were getting this Bangkok dangerous this straight to dvd six production companies you've never heard of shot in you know whatever country we think we're getting run-of-the-mill nick cage not using him to his fullest extent not having a creative fun imaginative story not having an engaging and fun physical or visual presentation oh I got the exact opposite, Denny. I had more fun than I could possibly have imagined. I am going to go ahead and give this something that we only reserve for truly special movies. I'm going to give it the whiplash warning. If you have not seen this movie, I beseech you, stop listening to this podcast right now and go watch this movie. 
and then come back and then text me and or Greg about it and I promise we will be delighted to further discuss this movie with you. This isn't the same whiplash warning in that it's you're going to have a reduced emotional impact with the story that unfolds. This is just such a unique experience that I won't tell you that listening will ruin your experience from like a narrative perspective. What? Yeah. And I I don't I don't often say like how you should watch movies. I I tend to avoid trailers and encourage others to do the same. For this movie, you really need to see it at night, turn the lights off, and have your TV be the only light source uh, for wherever you are. Don't look at your phone. Just, like, lock your eyes on the screen and let everything wash over you and turn up the volume louder than you normally do for movies. I, In my opinion, that's the best way to experience this film. I fully affirm everything Greg just said. Dark room only source of light is the TV in fact I'm going to go out on a limb here Greg oh please I'm going to tell the academy to take their best actor performance in leaving Las Vegas and shove it up their pretentious asses (laughs) this movie is the best movie Featuring the corporeal deity that currently embodies the vessel of the actor known as Nicolas Cage. Those are extremely strong words from somebody like you, Denny. Um, Every one of them. It's hard for me to come to that conclusion because there's so many of his movies that I love for a lot of different reasons. This... It's hard to believe this came out three years to get, three years ago because a lot of the recent Nick Cage movies you watch, Prisoners <laughs> of the Ghostland, they seem to just completely misuse Nicolas Cage, and this one absolutely uses him to his fullest extent. He's had a long, long acting career, right? Prolific. This is long and prolific. Just like... So... <laughs> man he he's grown and in his as he's aged he's become i would say a different actor and this is the movie that best utilizes his current skills and talents yes better than anything recently and i think it showcases what he's become and and it it does tend to outshine a lot of his older work too Well, you know, Nick Cage is kind of a punchline at this point. Undeservedly so, and also very deservedly so, depending on the movie you're watching. I will die on this hill. Nicolas Cage possesses a very specific set of acting talents that, when channeled properly, will give you a -a one-of-a-kind performance that takes a story to the next level and there is no actor other than him on the planet who could give you that same performance you just have to know when to take the chains off 
and there has never been a movie that has chosen and earned their moments as well as Mandy. With Nicolas Cage. That, that's right. There you go. <laughs> Man, uh, let's dive in, shall we? Um, I, like we said before, from the top of the show, this is movies for when you want to satiate your bloodlust. Um, just like I felt with um, Evil Dead uh, and to some extent Dead Alive, we are slowly building up towards a climax of maximum bloodshed. Yes. And the way, the same way I felt about Evil Dead, where the bloodshed that is most earned and has a more uh, emotional impact feels um, a lot more satisfying than just blood for the yes. sake of blood, I think this hits those high notes even better. Um, this is a movie that... The first time I was watching it, I was kind of thinking like it was getting off to a very slow mm -hmm. start. And it is. It is a very. Uh, it's a very unique experience. It it is kind of designed and I think thought out to be more of an experience than just like an action flick or anything like that. It's not experimental. It's not action. It's somewhere riding a line. And it's at some point, I think. So this is my second time watching it. Is this the same for you? Second or third? Seventh or eighth, brother. Oh, jeez. Let, let, let me give my history with this movie really quickly. By all means. Um, so when Vanessa and I were very broke and were in a very hard time in life in 2018, we didn't go out much. We didn't do much that cost money. This movie was out, and I remember I was having a really hard week. And I told Vanessa, like, hey, this is playing at Alamo Drafthouse, and I need to do this. I just, I need this right now. I'm going to go there, I'm going to watch this movie, and I'm going to order food and, like, three drinks. And this mm -hmm. is something I just need to do. I need to spend $60 on this. And I loved it so much. I want you guys to understand... I have a fairly strict rule that if I see a movie twice in theaters, someone else pays for my second ticket. That I'm just like, Interesting. if I've already seen it, I mean, I don't ask for it, but I'm like, the only reason I'm going back to see a movie again in theaters is if like, I watched it and I was home for Christmas and my mom really wanted to see this and bought the whole family tickets, I'm not going to, like, be like, no, I already watched it. You know, like, I'm... But I'm also mm -hmm. not going to pitch it. If someone else wants to pay, I'll go again, right? Right. When I was very broke, like, a week after I saw this, I texted a couple friends and was like, hey, let's go see Mandy. <laughs> like, we, we really should go <laughs> see this movie. Um, uh, Enemy of the show, Davis Kauk gave it to me as a gift on blu-ray um and also last year him and his fiance morgan watts halloween costumes they came as red and mandy and they were on point like they were great costumes <laughs> um i have watched this movie so many times i've actually watched it two times in the past week and a half um oh my god i, I showed it to a couple friends 
um, we like made a special night to watch it because I knew they hadn't seen it. And then <laughs> when we decided to do it for this week, I was like, I'm not missing out on an excuse to rewatch Mandy. And I had a cancellation right after my lunch at work. I had two free hours and my computer didn't have a DVD player on it. So even though I owned the Blu-ray, I rented this on Amazon to watch it again. <laughs> oh my God. I love this movie, man. I, I, I think actually on this last watch, I came to terms that it is in my top five all-time favorite movies. Wow. Top five. I love this movie. High praise. High praise and indeed. I feel like it's very well placed. Yeah. Um, I mean, not only I kinda wanna get does in... it play to my... All, just all my buttons. Everything? It plays to your everything. It's also yeah. really, 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 really well done. I, I cut mm -hmm. you off, though. Finish your thought. Excuse me. No, you're good. I just wanted to dive in on some specifics, but first I'll just kind of reaffirm that. Like, this was my second time watching it, and it's I honestly feel gross saying that. The first time I was like, this starts kind of slow, but it finishes very mm -hmm. strong. And then on the second watch um, yesterday, I was just like, I was just blown away by the experience of yeah. it all. Um, so kind of getting into some well, stuff. We, we haven't the... done a synopsis. Should we do a synopsis? Sure, you do a plot okay, summary. I'm going to go really quick because it's actually an extremely simple plot. And as Panos Cosmatos, the director, said... He is less concerned with the story and more concerned with how it's told. And usually I'd be like, that's a bunch of pretentious bullshit. Fuck you, just make a good movie. Um, it really works in this movie. Basically, uh, Nick Cage plays Red. Um, he is with a woman named Mandy. They are happy together, living their isolated life in the woods near Crystal Lake. Um, and... Uh, all of a sudden, some wacko cult leader comes along one day and decides he wants to fuck Mandy. Um, and in order to do this, he summons these Hellraiser guys on ATVs. Um, mm -hmm. I'm currently watching through the Hellraiser franchise with Enemy of the Show, Davis Kauk, and let me say, my increased knowledge added nothing to my enjoyment of these characters. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so they kidnap Mandy, give her a bunch of drugs... Uh, the cult leader, Jeremiah Sand, tries to seduce her. It fails. He feels slighted. So he burns her alive in front of Red. Um, Red loses his shit and goes on a really awesome revenge quest. And that's the whole movie. That's your plot right there. And Well summarized. Yeah. It's not really about the plot. <laughs> the plot is very simple and very straightforward. And the presentation turns something simple into something that is legendary. And that's what this movie's really about. There you go. Yeah, that's that really is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Yes. But yeah, um, having this movie... This movie's set also in 1983. Um, having this movie set in the 80s um, and tonally kind of vibing with that. You're getting... I feel like kind of the trend if you're remaking something from the 80s or paying homage you're basically just overloading the audience with certain tropes and synth music yes. and this movie does have a lot of those things but it never feels like it's overbearing no. uh, it does a lot of the 80s film techniques where like 
I think uh, Red's in like a canoe or something at some point, and there's like a long zoom in on him, and we're just slowly zooming out as the synth music kind of accompanies mm-hmm. it. It's not overbearing. There's a lot of use of fog machines too. Uh, entire scenes are lit completely in red and then kind of switching to blue like the use of lighting is insanely fun but it never feels like it's overbearing or just trying to be like hey guys remember the 80s yeah you know like it never goes full stranger things and i appreciate that Um, because even stranger things eventually went double stranger things and it wasn't as nice Um, (laughs) there we go uh, yeah so I wanted to give a context to why this works even better on a second watch is because on the first watch, there's a lot of like uh, just seemingly nonsensical art house bullshit that you like watching, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really resonate. It, am I, am I, sp- I'm sp- sorry. I'm speaking for both of us. I should speak for myself. Greg, did you have that impression? Um, not really. Just, elaborate though so like you see a lot of things that kind of seem like they don't make sense or not that they don't make sense but they're just kind of irrelevant and seem like uh you know just included for the sake of including something visually kind of cool or um but the beauty of it is and this is what i really connected to on the second watch is that everything is actually very very purposeful when you understand the theme of the movie and it's a movie mm-hmm. that explores the theme of snuffed out youth, youth that was taken away. Um, and so that's really like when there's the dream sequence of Mandy finding a dead baby deer um, and Nick Cage sees her through the fire. All of that fits the theme and what's about to happen. Um, when she tells that story about the starlings, that's another story of snuffed out youth and things that got taken away. Um, and when... Uh, Elijah Wood, who was never in a Peter Jackson movie, um, unfortunately for him, he he did not get the role of Harry Potter that he auditioned for. No, I thought I thought Peter Jackson he didn't do the trust. Oh yes, Peter Jackson did oh. make the trust. Um, okay, carry ironically, on. I would be willing to bet that the trust is the reason for the story I'm about to tell. Um, Elijah Wood is a producer of this movie. I'd noticed that yeah. this time. Yeah. So he went to recruit Nicolas Cage to be in it. And they wanted him to play Jeremiah Sand, the cult leader. And, yeah, uh, interesting. And Nick Cage wanted to play Red. And basically, like, they had a production meeting and they were like, uh, there's this whole theme of extinguished youth and Nick Cage is getting kind of old. It just really doesn't fit what we're going for to have him play Mandy's partner. Um, and then, like, eventually they were like, hey... Nick Cage wants to do our weird indie movie. We should recognize how cool that is and let him do what he wants. Um, and mm-hmm. so then they cast Nick Cage as Red. Um, and I think something I didn't notice until this watch through um, that really adds to an iconic bathroom scene, which we will explore in depth later. Um, <laughs> in the opening sequence, um, he's in a truck after a day of work and he turns down a beer from someone else. It was a helicopter. Oh, it was a helicopter. And yes, I turns... did. Yeah, I did. I was going to bring that up, he... too. Continue. Um, and then later we see he has uh, what's clearly hidden vodka in the house. So there's, like, I mean, it's beyond implying. It's definitely stating uh, mm-hmm. this guy is an alcoholic in recovery. 
And so they, it feels like they kind of added, like, uh, maybe alcoholism stole his youth from him. You know, like, maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's how he fits thematically, and I thought it really worked. But, I don't, man, I just think they, that, they earn so much in this movie. Go on. let me Tell me what you were going to say about him turning down the beer. Yeah. That's, that's something I was going to bring up. Um, I hadn't read up on the themes of the movie. Like I said, this is the second... This is my second watch. I'm not... Um, I haven't looked up too much on it unfortunately but yeah that all tracks the way you kind of laid that out uh it's something i noticed this time turning down the beer and then having the hidden vodka i kind of wondered just like what is his past i didn't know about the whole snuffed out uh, adolescence uh robbed childhood however you mm-hmm. want to phrase it um yeah damn um coming <laughs> having him play jeremiah would have been interesting too but i'm glad we got him as red i don't know that i need uh, having... to see nick cage angrily masturbating in a robe while getting laughed at S- says you <laughs> um like having life snuffed out through alcoholism kind of operates in a different lens because we're getting snuffed out youth from a lot of these cult followers um so the theme kind of carries through in a lot of different paths to kind of get to the same yeah. result, you know? Um, whether it's, ad- you know, being robbed of your adolescence through following a cult, like it is for, a, I think her name is Lucy, mm-hmm. or maybe through alcohol alcoholism like it is for Red, um, if what you're saying um, is kind of how that theme yeah. ties in. And... It's just so cool. Um, I'm kind of wondering... I kind of wanted to know a little bit more of the character of Mandy. Yeah. A little bit more of her backstory. She's kind of a... A little bit more of a mysterious presence. Yes. Even though her... You know, the movie's named after her. She's Nick Cage's <laughs> wife. But she... she uh, Unfortunately dies early on. I feel like we don't get as much of a connection to her past. Even though she does talk a lot uh she has that scene where she discusses her father having her and her friends kill uh baby birds and i feel like that theme could be explored a lot more had her character been around a little bit longer but doesn't really hurt my feelings about the movie at well all. yeah and you know we could have had more backstory to her but i also feel like uh there's a lot of backstory implied like for example she she has that scar on her face she has a scar underneath mm-hmm. her eye. Kind of tells you that she's seen some shit. Um, mm-hmm. She, you know, like, some at one point Nick Cage says, sometimes I think we should move away from this place. And she's like, why? You know, like, it. it, it mm-hmm. they both kind of give me vibes that, like, these are people with horrible past who have finally found their peace out in the woods. Nick Cage chops wood. She works at a convenience store. And they like to go home and spend time together and read books and watch TV. And they've found read their Read books, peace. watch TV, make art. There's a lot of peace for them yeah. out there. And unfortunately, that peace is encroached upon by uh, Slipknot on ATVs. Boy, is it. Boy, <laughs> that is it. That was on purpose. If there was an, ever a time for that... Um, Vanessa also the just horn of Vanessa just texted me and said Vietnam War fits into the timeline being in the early eighties. Yes, it does. Hmm, yeah. yeah. Dude. 
So this movie is full of references, and one you just made that I don't think anyone other than me I know knows about. Um, ooh, Vanessa also said that's why Red knows how to fight like a motherfucker. Maybe he was in the Vietnam yeah. War. That totally checks out. I'm going to text her excellent insight. I think, I think that might be why he knows his friend that he calls the Reaper. Uh, the guy that gives him the uh, the crossbow and the the kind of specialized AKA bolts. the guy from Predator. That's what I always know him yeah, as. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, you, you're kind of wor- wondering about their past, and yeah, he, he does fight like a motherfucker. Yeah. I don't know where he learned to blacksmith, uh, if that's a verb, an axe, but... I don't think we needed to know that. Um, I don't... Uh, we didn't... Uh, as long as it happened, that's all so that matters. So we, we've previously theorized that that axe is a reference to Last Action Hero. Um, a lot of people don't know this. Abraxas is a Jesse Ventura movie that basically simultaneously rips off Robocop and The Terminator... Um, mm-hmm. and all I remember about that movie from watching it is that there's like Jesse Ventura, hairy chested and shirtless sitting in a bed, reading a bedtime story to a child. And it's supposed to be heartwarming. Um, if you haven't seen a breakfast, <laughs> I got it in a double feature for like one ninety nine at movie trading co. And it also came with a weird sci-fi early Mark Hamill movie that I've never heard of and haven't gotten around to watching yet. But a, I feel like I've I've seen this this dual pack at your house. You before. probably have. Um, a Braxis was a special treat, <laughs> so I, I thought it was really cool that they referenced <laughs> that movie in this. Mm. <sighs> with the horn of a Braxis, dude. What did you think of uh, 80s metalhead Kenneth Parcell, a.k.a. the mullet mouth breather? Oh, he's such a gross-looking guy. And when they have that scene of, like, he's stringing up Mandy and, like, licking his nose, it just looks so <laughs> fucked up, man. He, he added so much to this, man. He was great. I feel like all of the children of the New Dawn are so unique from each other like even in personality but they all have like this this strange loyalty even though maybe not all of them are equally contributing to the cause they are all equally loyal it seems i just i don't know i think that was kind of interesting and even um tragic kenneth parcell is (laughs) has his own unique set of personalities even though he doesn't say very yeah. much um we, and we meet all these guys later in our revenge tour we we got a feel for each of them they they, they didn't feel mm-hmm. like nameless henchmen you know like we despite how little time we spent with them um each of them felt developed and i think that's like it's kind of a theme of the movie now that we're talking about it that i've never realized even when i'm talking about uh mandy and red the two main characters there's so little information divulged about them, but there's so much that I feel about them. You know, like I, I look at them and yeah. I'm like, like, Vanessa just texted me and, you know, she was like, I kind of feel like Red has, is a Vietnam vet. You know, like I look at Mandy and I'm like, I kind of feel like she's a trauma survivor and an abuse survivor. And you could say that about everybody in the New Dawn that you, you have a very unique 
vibe from each and every one of them. Um, and you could, mm-hmm. you could theorize all you want about why they were drawn to a very small cult from a failed musician who uh, s- splits them and uh, plays them against each other constantly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the beautiful thing is you don't need that information to emotionally understand these characters. And it's just, it's, it's kind of masterful. It really is. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're also varying in age and experience and personality that you're just, yeah, you wonder how they got coerced, but it also doesn't really matter because the end of the day, they're all there. They're all falling in line to the terrible things that Jeremiah is having them do. Um, man, where do we go from here? Um, you know, before we get into the real meat and potatoes of the story, I wanted to revisit the Starling story that Mandy tells. Mm-hmm. It is like a scene that, like, it's like I almost have a Mandela effect in my memory of it cutting away to the Starlings. Um, because it's so vivid the way she describes it and then you Mm -hmm. watch it again and you're like no it just like literally shows her laying there cuddling and talking the whole time it never cuts away never does like another angle to make it more visually interesting but she tells the story so well that I'm not focusing on what I'm seeing anymore. I'm imagining the story she's telling, and I forget about what I'm watching. And a lot of that, too, like I kind of talked about the filmmaking uh, earlier on, like we're just sitting at this one angle, like you just said, in this very colorfully lit scene, and we're just slowly zooming in on her talking. You're kind of, your eyes are kind of, maybe not glazing over but you're if you're really paying attention you're just kind of glossed over and paying attention to the story and you've got she's not moving her head she's not moving her hands she's literally just laying still and talking so the only thing you can do image wise is fill those images in your head and the way she's describing it it's very easy to understand like why you maybe thought you had actually seen those things because you're presented with such an opportunity like that's the only thing you can do in that scene is see it for yourself and it's just such money man and then one of the next scenes after it is when we really meet jeremiah sand we've seen him before but we really get to see him interact with the children of the new dawn and they told us so much about this entire cult in that scene where um, he's interacting with the older woman and he is just scapegoating her, verbally abusing her, degrading her, and you see that she is just hook, line, and sinker bought into his bullshit. You know, like she Mm -hmm. fully accepts all this mistreatment and everyone who has a scapegoat also has a golden child. He asks her to send for his golden child who he acts unconditionally pleased with. The older... uh, the older guy in the cult. I think it's Brother, brother Swan, Swan, I want to say. Brother Swan. Yeah. Um, and then he sends away for the young girl to have sex with him. Or sexually mm-hmm. please him. There's sexual implications of whatever's going on. 
And just in that one scene, they have like fully given you very uh, a very informed take on this whole cult and what what narcissistic delusional people do and how they keep people subservient to them. This is literally mm-hmm. if this was your family system, I hope you go to therapy. <laughs> you know, like I <laughs> I grew up in a system that wasn't insanely different from this and I treat a lot of people's mental illness who are still struggling very very much with this. It is a really fucked up dynamic. It is a really fucked up dynamic, and they fully explored the complexity of it in about three minutes. And I was just blown away, mm-hmm. man. It's a great scene. Oh, yeah. It says everything you need to know about everybody that you're going to come into contact with later, and... Ugh. So... Ugh. Disgusting. We're really getting into the serious shit of this movie, and they're about to cast it all to the wind, and I want to do the same... As they, if we're moving linearly through the movie, they're about to summon the the Hellraiser people, the Cenobites on mm-hmm. four wheelers. Um, so I, I had a question for you, Greg. Mm-hmm. If you did so much drugs that you turned into a movie reference, what reference do you think it would be? Oh man. So in the lore of Mandy. The supposed story from Predator Guy is that these guys took LSD from a dealer that didn't like them and they spiked it with something else and their minds weren't right. Yeah, and they turned into Hellraiser people. They are summoned summoned by a horn and they ride in on ATVs looking like Hellraiser Slipknot guys. This is so stupid for a movie we're talking so seriously about. But wait, when you see it, it's so much cooler. I promise. It sounds so stupid just hearing the description. I I promise it's cooler than it sounds. I don't. What movie reference would I be? This is tricky. If you did like intentionally fucked up acid that turned you into a movie reference, what do you think you'd become? Uh, putting me on the spot here. I just keep wanting to say I would just become Waluigi, but that's not a movie <laughs> I, reference. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it if that's true. <laughs> sure. If I took enough drugs, I would just be Waluigi. I think I'd be Sweetums from the Muppets. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that till now. I was like, also, there's a chance I would just turn into a Mandy reference and you just find me in a baseball shirt and whitey tidies chugging vodka and screaming. That seems a little more true. <laughs> just for the sake of what's interesting. Um, for, for those who don't know me, I'm a really big dude with long hair and a beard and uh, Sweetums from the Muppets really fits my profile. Good luck picking us out in a in a in a, in a lineup. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you want to talk about the vodka bathroom scene? Uh, chronologically, we've got some ground to cover first. Um, I guess we don't have to. We can skip to it. They kidnap Mandy. They give her a bunch of drugs. Jeremiah Sand tries to seduce her. 
she laughs at his little old wiener and makes fun of his shitty little song that he loves so much. We find out he's a rejected musician and can't cope with that and apparently mm-hmm. uh, uh, falls into drug-induced psychosis uh, to cope with uh, his ideal self not matching up with his actual self, as Carl Rogers would say in his model of person-centered congruence. Where are my counselors at? Um, hey So Not here. Let's, they burn Mandy alive in front of Nick Cage and just truly, like, I just wince every time he does the Russian roulette. It gets me every time. Like, I don't know what's going to fucking happen. Um, mm-hmm. We see a true, just, like, descent into the psychosis of what happens when someone thinks their emotions are God talking to them. When he, Jeremiah looks into the mirror and says, yes. don't ever doubt yourself. Um, well, first he says, tell me what to do. Tell me what to yeah. do. Tell me what to do. He says it like 10 or 15 times. Yeah. Not, and he's not listening. He's just waiting for the idea to come to yeah. him. He's kind of like calming himself down from the rejection. He's not really listening. He's just trying to take a breather, come up with his own conclusion, and then use that as uh, divine guidance. Yeah. And when he thinks his own emotions are divine guidance, when he mistakes those two things, <laughs> bad mm-hmm. things happen. Um, and so, bad things um, before we talk about the bathroom vodka scene, I think we have to talk about how they earned it. While Mandy is burning, they make us watch Nick Cage cry with no audio. And I think Mm -hmm. that is one of the smartest moves of the film that we haven't truly experienced him losing his shit until they make us look right at it in its rawest, most ugly form of a just truly blood-covered man in whitey tighties relapsing on vodka straight from the bottle, screaming in despair. Yeah. And just when you think, like, that's enough vodka, Nick, here he goes, down in another swig. He's, it's, it's what, like 90 seconds, two minutes? It's just, um, you forget it's Nick Cage. Well, you don't. But you forget it's Nick Cage there for a minute, and you're just like, the heartache he just experienced. He comes in and watches a Cheddar Goblin commercial, and then escapes to the bathroom where he kind of like realizes what happened he's all the gears are turning all at once emotionally he's all of this is hitting him he's planning his next move and he's like relapsing into the alcohol that he's kind of kept stuff away from sometime so he's becoming a version of his old self he's losing his current self and he's um planning out his future actions to become his future self and he is just he is six different emotions all at once and you are seeing it all and hearing it all and it's such a cool Mm -hmm. scene when you hear it described you want to laugh at it but when you experience it you just can't deny the (laughs) just sheer talent that he has and uh, there's a couple moments where the camera is like 
starting to move, but Nick Cage isn't ready yet, so it'll like kind of go back in. You can tell like he's just feeling this whole moment out, and he's really feeling all these things, and it's so cool, man. This is the scene that I point to when people talk shit about Nicolas Cage. This is the one mm-hmm. scene I'll point to while I'll be like, you know what? Say what you want about some of his more comical works, which if you watch his interviews, they're intentionally comical. That doesn't mean that he didn't ruin a movie <laughs> by trying to be funny or expressionistic. <laughs> Say what you want. A lot of it is valid. I'll give you that. And in return, I want you to name another actor who could have given you this scene. Abed Nadir. Other than Abed Nadir. Other than who has the oh, sorry, best sorry. Nicolas Cage impression I have ever heard in my life. Um, Danny Pewdie, cat. you fucking master. <laughs> like that was one of the best impressions I've ever heard of anyone ever. Name an actor. <laughs> Who could have given you this scene other than Nicolas Cage? I'll wait. The correct answer is there is no one else who could have given you this iconic bathroom vodka scene. And I respect Panos Cosmatos for his use of Nicolas Cage because they basically gave him little to no dialogue up until this point. They didn't mm-hmm. give him the chance to do his weird shit and stomp all over the movie until it was time to do Nicolas Cage things. Until the story had fully earned it in every way. There has never mm-hmm. been a better example of that concept than this scene. And I am over the moon in love with the performance in this scene. It's uh, it's something we talked about in our pig episode, which you can listen to or watch if you'd mm-hmm. like. Uh, there's a moment where, you know, during the whole movie, Nicolas Cage is pretty subdued. He's not saying much. When he does talk, it's pretty low-key. And there's an emotional moment for him where he kind of loses it for a second and decides to get kind of loud. Only for a couple seconds, a couple lines, kicks a car. This is this bathroom scene is kind of a similar thing. This this is why I said we got the best use of Nicolas Cage as an actor that we've seen in years and years. Um, unleash him when he needs to be unleashed. Keep him, you know, subdued for every other moment. He'll he'll give you that great. He'll give you that great range and give you that complete performance. Yes. And when you have a story oh that necessitates it, it's a one-of-a-kind performance that really works. And the story necessitated it. However, Greg, we're getting ahead of ourselves because mm-hmm. I think we would be remiss to not discuss the Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> what the fuck are we supposed to say about the Cheddar Goblin? I love him. He's incredible. I agree. Um, I actually have a box of Cheddar Goblin uh, macaroni on my shelf in this Mm -hmm. room (laughs) that I bought from the Legion M fan store um, that is a studio that produced this movie. Um, So I actually, like, honestly, this came to me during this episode. 
So, like, basically, for, for those who did not heed our hashtag whiplash warning, hashtag infinite biff theory, um, he, uh, basically, he watches the person he loves most get burned alive, everything dies down, he cuts himself loose, he goes inside, and on TV, there's just this random, disruptive, surrealist commercial about a cheddar goblin who vomits mac and cheese onto children um it it is evil dead no not evil dead sorry it is dead alive levels of like puppeteering and like ridiculous body cheddar horror it's one of the only moments in this movie that like really (laughs) strikes me as silly you know (laughs) like just like a silly fucking weird thing they did and every time i've watched this movie i just took it as like a a commentary on like whenever a character turns on the tv it's always something relevant to what they're going through and Uh this was like a commentary on like when the fuck does that happen in your life you know that you just like flip on Mm -hmm. the tv and it immediately shows you something important it's usually something random um and i do think it contributes to his sense of emotional isolation he's essentially lost the only person he connects to but as we're talking about this I'm really connecting to the idea that it's on theme with snuffed out youth in the sense that he's watching this children's commercial that reminds us as an audience of a fucked up version of commercials we grew up on as like 90s kids, right? That's pretty much who this Mm -hmm. is targeted at. Um, And it just juxtaposes this fantasy world with the gruesome reality of life. And it's like, your childhood's Mm -hmm. fucking dead. When you were watching Cheddar Goblin-ass commercials, you never thought you were going (laughs) to see the love of your life get burned to death before your eyes by strangers. (laughs) You know, like, it it really, honestly, I thought it was just, like, a truly random thing, but it's occurred to me in this recording that I'm like, I actually think it does play into a larger theme, and maybe this is, like you throw shit at the wall long enough and you'll start to see words maybe that's what's happening right now but i actually think i have a case for it it being part of a larger thematic uh a thematic thread when it makes sense i don't feel like you're really grasping for straws Mm -hmm. there um that does track and i i think there's some validity especially to the points you're making earlier about the themes of the movie i think that that does fit in pretty well it's an interesting thought, and it, it is one of the few moments in the movie that have anything to do with anybody's childhood, yeah. whether, like, whoever's, you know, the target audience of the movie. It's one of the only times that we're shown anything childish whatsoever. And <laughs> just make it as weird as fucking yep. possible. <laughs> I, I, I'm a huge fan of that part, man. I really love Cheddar Goblin. I do too. I loved it so much I bought merch. (laughs) (laughs) It's mac and cheese that I never made. There's really mac and cheese in that box and I'm preserving it. I was actually fully prepared to ship it to whoever whoever guessed this movie for our mystery movie. I told you I was going to maybe ship them a Funko Pop. It was either that or I was going to buy another box of Cheddar Goblin and mail it to them. At the time mm-hmm. of this recording, no one has guessed it. That's right. Time's ticking past people. Yep. 
Uh, <laughs> sorry about Greg, you. Greg, I've, I've been yeah. kind of taking the lead. Where do we go from here? Well, let's get into the theme of the episode. Let's get into our bloodlust oh. getting satiated. We've had... Yeah, you see? We've had this... We've had this series of trippy events. We've had, like, kind of a strobe effect kidnapping and then murder of Mandy. We've had Nicolas Cage coming to terms with that and kind of deciding his next steps. We mentioned Predator Guy that Nicolas Cage goes to see in his cool car. Um, he gets a crossbow. He gets some bolts that will chew through bone like a fat kid through cake, apparently, according to the Reaper guy. Uh, Denny, what's in season for hunting this year? <sighs> Jesus freaks. I didn't know they were in yep, season. they are. We get some cool lines. That that whole scene is... Uh, you start to get a little bit of backstory, a little bit con a bit of context, finally, for the world that we're existing mm -hmm. in. And we get so little context for what's going on in this world. We only get a few lines of conversation between them, but pretty much all of the things they bring up are fleshed out later on yes. in the film we do see the chemist eventually uh we do kind of understand where these drug freak pinhead guys are coming mm -hmm. from and oh man we we also kind of understand nick cage's motivation for violence and oh he goes and he gets some you are skipping right past the best scene in the movie. No, I'm not. What is it? When Nick Cage crafts that axe. Oh, that's when he crafts it. I thought it's it right was... after. It's I'm right so after sorry. he meets the predator guy. Um, which, by the way, him being in fatigues kind of lends credit to Vanessa's Vietnam theory. I would say now that I think about it. Um, mm -hmm. Dude, when he's crafting the axe. It's just a complete departure from the tone of the movie, and you're like, oh my god, count down to fuck town. I'm about to see something truly incredible. It's so fucking cool. I'm envisioning it in my head right now. You look like you're looking up something. What are you looking up? Um, the, I, was, I was watching the credits, and I was going to... Um bring it up later i was going to talk a little bit more about the credits but there is a blacksmith credited in the no credits way. for mandy That's yeah so cool and uh i made a note of it but i i forgot to take down that guy's name and i feel really bad about it so i was seeing if i could find it really quick but i can't find it but there is a blacksmith credited for this good film. on him good on him Oh my god, and then he just goes hunting Cenobites. <sighs> Boy, does he. And we enter a very different movie than we have seen before. Dude, because with how slow the first maybe 60% of the movie has gone, we've seen Nicolas Cage become unhinged. We're not really expecting a whole lot of violence. I was... You know, in the first watch through, I'm kind of expecting a little bit more of the 
visual theme to kind of carry through. I'm expecting a little bit more slow synth, a little bit more slow-paced scenes, a lot of low-key action, maybe something, some of it happening off-screen. Not quite what we get. We do get a lot of that <laughs> incredibly creative visual um, artistry and a lot of that colorful pop that happens in those scenes, but the violence in the next couple scenes is just visceral, man. Well, it's it's real dichotomous and really serves as an interruption to the tone of the first half of the movie because something horrible happened that changed everything for this character's life. Um, mm -hmm. Man, the first half of the movie is really soothing. You know, like it, like, or well, not the first half, the first third. It, like, kind of calms yeah. me down. You know, like, even the opening shot is just, like, an overhead shot of trees that is very peaceful and very calm. And mm -hmm. then Jeremiah Sand just can't let that stand. That rhymed, unintentional, hot rod reference. Um, and then we are just off to the races. Because, and this, all this violence is so great and feels like it matters because they spent so long earning it and contextualizing mm -hmm. it that it is just so thematically appropriate that you have built this world and pushed this character so far that he would resort to these drastic measures fantastic who is probably capable of those things but never would have done yeah. those things in any other circumstance no or context way. um i i do find it interesting that he goes for the uh slipknot biker gang mm -hmm. first uh i thought that was an interesting choice because they kind of feel to me like this mystical force kind of like a final boss yeah sort of uh set of characters the fact that he goes there first is just so harrowing that we kind of needed him to go there first because damn that's not where his revenge truly no. lies they kind of started this thing but they didn't finish well, they're, it. they're they're essentially the henchmen and yeah they're like oh god i never really thought about it in that context but that works even more that it's like, you know, to, to quote Game of Thrones, maybe they swung the sword, but they didn't uh, give the sentence, right? They, they mm -hmm. were pawns, ultimately. It seems like they were really not free-thinking individuals, but they were more slaves to impulses and uh, desires of the flesh. They weren't, uh, they weren't the puppet masters, they were the puppets. They were really just pawns yeah. of, of Jeremiah Sand. Yeah, and oh, that doesn't mean they're not tough or like a really terrifying yeah. threat. The way they talk is so terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the... It didn't make my Margaret Thatcher memorial moment, but the scene where he fights the last guy by the burning oh, car, the last of the so bikers, shoots him in the neck with a crossbow and he doesn't move so you're like okay maybe he's looking at like a dead body yeah. or something and then you just see this hand reach up pull the arrow oh. out of his own neck and just all this blood comes out and he's like well 
I'm gonna keep waiting for him to come mm-hmm. to me, and it's just, ugh, terrifying. Oh. <laughs> and then when he kills him, one of the most badass moments in cinema history is when he lights a cigarette on his flaming skull with a thousand yard stare and smokes it. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, and that made me think smoking was cool. <laughs> i forgot to write it down but there was a note like there's something i had in my head when i was um watching it i was just like man i haven't seen anybody look this cool smoking in a long time with nicholas cage like even when nothing's really going on he like steps out in the back patio and lights a cigarette like this guy looks fucking cool then he lights a cigarette on the flaming head of someone he just decapitated and it becomes 30 times cooler. It's probably the coolest smoking I've ever seen on film that didn't involve Humphrey Bogart or Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> like, there you go. It's, it's <laughs> fucking cool, man. It's badass. Take that, kids vaping. <laughs> you think you're cool with your fucking jewels? <laughs> Incorrecto. You'll never be Nicolas Cage, kids. Don't even try. No one will. <laughs> no, no one, one will. will. No one ever will. Uh, um, well. And then we get to the children of the new dawn. Well, before Ooh, we get there. I'm out of sequence. We have a, a... Just like in Pig. A Nicolas Cage scene of effective silence. Where he stares at the chemist with blood all oh. over his face. And conveys everything with his face. And just has a conversation with him without saying anything. So a chemist who's cooking up the LSD, uh, providing the drugs for, uh, we assume, Jeremiah and Children of the New Dawn. And we also assume maybe he's the one that maybe messed up the bikers in the first place. That was kind of my theory. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I view it as an implication, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um... And then there's a tiger in the cage, credited as Corfu, ah, the tiger. Good for Corfu. Uh, I took that name down, but not the blacksmith. Sorry, guys. Um, so much is done in that scene, because we've just had all this violence in Nicolas Cage. It's just covered in blood. Uh, staring at this guy. Right? And the guy gets everything he needs to know points Nick Cage in the direction of the Children of the New Dawn, and where do we go well, from there, I wanted to I wanted to talk about that scene, actually, because something, something oh, that yeah. occurred to me on this watch that never occurred to me before, were they implying that the drugs make them communicate telepathically? Um, I don't okay. think so. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get that from it, but, you know, I'm a very surface-level thinker. So, I'm a very deep thinker. Could have been. I've watched this movie a lot, and I kind of wondered if, like, because Nick Cage takes a hit of uh, their crazy people drugs and sees melting faces and weird <laughs> shit in one of the coolest little quick sequences so in the cool. movie. Just beautiful, just fantastic. Um, we see that he's kind of entering another plane of existence, and it kind of made me wonder, can the chemist hear his thoughts? Um, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just him looking at him. I don't think it changes the content of the scene at all. I think either interpretation really works. So, 
maybe I'm looking too deep into it. I've seen this a lot now. Um, <laughs> no, I think what's what's really important is when he starts taking on the children of the new dawn, he lets the young girl go very on theme with snuffed out youth. That's mm-hmm. the redemption. He lets her reclaim her youth and escape. I thought that was really cool. And, and he quickly kills Brother Swan, too. <laughs> I Mercilessly. Think he, he has his own motivation to kill him swiftly. But he also, I think, in that the way that scene plays out, sees Swan as, like, another part of the cancer... Yeah. Uh, that's keeping I, I again I can't remember I think it's Sister Lucy the younger girl that's keeping her basically imprisoned mentally with his cult so he's cutting that out as quickly as possible in that scene that's the way I kind of felt um, watching yeah. that but oh that's oh, that scene is intense man when he shoves the axes uh, the 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 business end of the axe down his throat and just very clearly penetrates the back of his neck. Woo! So fucking good. And it's quick satisfaction for us, the audience, too. And then the next scene he uses that axe, he throws it at the head of uh, mullet metalhead Kenneth Parcell. Kills him very instantly. (laughs) That was funny. And awesome. Just trying to wax the car, man. Uh, then, and, um, you know, it's something we love on this podcast. It's using chainsaws as oh weapons. Oh, my God. That was such a... We have a little fight, a little tussle, a, tussle with the chainsaws. What a great reveal with, like, the eight-foot-long chainsaw being revealed behind the car. <laughs> it's so incredible, cool, man. man. You're like, uh-oh, Nicolas Cage has got a chainsaw. He's going to mess this guy up. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> such a fun fight man such a fun fight um and it just like that moment really solidified how they managed to get so much emotion out of something so detached from reality um, you know like that mm-hmm. was a moment where i was like they made me care about this stupid campy thing they like truly made me care um, they they really earned this feeling from me, and I just I can't think of so many. Or sorry, I can't think of many movies at all that fully departed reality in that way and still made me feel something while they did it. Yeah, most definitely. And, and again, it's something we said already. It's just like if I explained this scene to you without you seeing it, you would think it's the campiest, silliest mm-hmm. nonsense mm-hmm. ever. But that's not actually what you're getting. Yeah. Um, then he, the older woman, uh, they don't even show us him killing her, <laughs> just throws her decapitated head at Jeremiah Sand. And in one of my favorite scenes in the movie, because I think it really explores just how quickly narcissistic gaslighters turn into 100% chicken shits when you don't fall for their bullshit, um, and just mm-hmm. confront them directly and don't play their games when... Jeremiah Sand immediately goes from I'm invincible, God in this room to I'll suck your dick, I'll fucking blow you, man. Like, <laughs> like when he just sees that like he is defenseless against someone who is mm-hmm. not buying into his horse shit. Um, yeah. 
Do you think they built that church just to burn it? Um, are you talking about like the set builders or like the cult? The set builders. Uh, it I didn't look so. like a miniature to me. Maybe it was, but it looked like a full. It looks like building. It looked like the same building that they used in Midsummer. Yes, yes, it did. Wow. Yes, Absolutely it did. It did. Um. Uh, so yeah, I think they built it just to burn it. It worked, dude. Uh, so that's basically the end of the movie. Uh, Nick Cage, Nick Cage's red smushes the head of yeah. Jeremiah with his bare hands while exclaiming in a down pitched voice that he is his god now. Yes, it's so fucking so great, fucking cool. And then when, uh, when he drops the match and you see this. Uh, you see just like this inferno lighting up that building um a line came to me that they said while they were burning mandy brother swan said the darker the whore the brighter the flame mm-hmm. i remember that that flame was yeah Eesh. eat shit cultist um then we just get some context for why he loved that shirt so much. It seems to be what he was wearing the night he met Mandy. And we mm-hmm. get this all-timer of a closing shot. Just, oh, oh my god! His smile! It, it's, I want to talk about that scene a little Let's bit, it. too. It's, it's... He's driving away, he's finally killed mm-hmm. Jeremiah, and he is, he steals one of their cars, and he's thinking back to the night he met Mandy, which is my interpretation yeah. of it too. She's wearing the shirt that uh, one of the freaks yeah. ripped, one of the biker freaks ripped. <laughs> he ripped his shirt! Uh, <laughs> um, in that scene, Nicolas Cage is just standing in a bar, and it seems like a normal set. And then when him and Manny start making eye contact, color, like the same color, we're getting like these bright reds and blues throughout the movie. Those start coming in again. I feel like Mandy really started his, her entrance into his life made him start seeing color in a sense. I've never connected to that. And I love that interpretation. Yeah, it, it, it kicks off, um, you know, it shows kind of the genesis of that sort of visual that we're getting through the whole movie and that it's coming from Nicolas Cage's I would say love for Mandy and he's seeing I wouldn't say like color for the first time but like seeing color in a new way when he sees her that's that's how Ooh, I kind of no, felt that about fits. it and I, I've never thought that thought I've never I've never had that insight and I think it a hundred percent fits man that's awesome and then and then we're back in the car. He's remembering driving her home for the first time. And then we're just stuck on this red where he's, where red eh, is smiling at her. And then he's smiling at us with blood all over his face. And he's back to the present, looking forward, oh back in the car. His face turns to a scowl. It's just incredible, man. Yes, it is. God, I love that final scene so much. That's just an iconic cinematic shot for me. Um, 
I never watched the credits all the way to the end after, and I never noticed that there was a stinger. Did you know about the stinger? Uh, no. Uh, I watched like a little bit of the credits while I took a couple extra notes, but I didn't. I didn't At finish it. At the end it. of the credits, it just shows you some of Mandy's drawings, and one of them's of Nick Cage. It's it's really oh. cool, man. I've I've seen this movie so many times, and for whatever reason, I guess just never watched it all the way to the end. Um. Well, I'm going to have to do that next time I watch it, hopefully Just very a nice soon. nice little bonus, man. Um, uh, we, didn't even, we didn't even get into the animated segment. Yes! Referencing, uh, have you seen Heavy Metal? Uh, no, oh, but I know what it is. Heavy Metal's the shit, and I love it, and these segments are absolutely a callback to Heavy Metal, man. It's really tight. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about them? I thought they were super interesting. They're showing, like, just three different forms of Mandy. I think my kind of thought was they were all three from Nicolas Cage's yeah. perspective, seeing her first as like a zombie and then seeing her as a, um, someone that's like floating in the ocean then kind of comes to life, like hissing. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember that one very well. And then an, a third one where she is pulling, uh, like it looks like like an enchanted stone of some kind out of like a wounded alien that, creature, uh, like just some some that beast. Enchanted po- that enchanted stone is the green orb that is crucial to heavy metal. Um, okay, yeah. okay. But no, and it, to me, it really showed because they never get into those until after Mandy has been murdered, and it kind of shows that he can't fully access her anymore. It, like that, he experiences mm-hmm. her as a cartoon which was a very interesting way to show he has lost her reality and he only has her memory um i, I really yeah. loved that man i, I just 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 great ch- cherry on top i call this the cherry on top to quote mandy um love those <laughs> love those heavy metal scenes man love them oh dude you know greg I don't think we have ever just broken down a movie beat for beat like this and just tracked it chronologically mm-hmm. and sang its praises. Have we ever done that before? I don't think so. I think we sort of did with Pig in a more focused episode, but definitely yeah. not in like a segment like this. Well, we had like to this. make Pig last. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have any critiques? Any criticisms? Anything that could have been better? Um... Honestly, no. I'm so happy, like I watched this a yeah. second time. I think this this movie improves on multiple yes. watches. Like, I can't remember. There, there's shows that, not shows. Sorry, like it, something like The Prestige. You know that like. Normally, when I say a movie gets better on a second watch, it's because it fills in like. Like, there's clues that you missed yeah. the first time, or there's stuff that makes more sense about yeah. the narrative. There's something about this movie that's so much better on multiple watches that is that almost none of it is, like, yeah. narrative-based, which is extremely rare. The um, only movie I can think of that really has that is Pulp Fiction. That's yeah. the only thing that I just, like... I've seen it so many times, and I'm still getting more thematic insight every time I watch it. There's just like a little more that I never noticed and normally I think that's like an annoying fanboy thing to say 
I really only mm-hmm. apply it to Mandy and Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Uh, those <laughs> putting those two in the same category there, like <laughs> that's really saying something about. Says this everything movie. you need to say. Um, I, yeah. I only have say what you I only have two critiques, and I would say that a phrase I love um, that I stole from Mark Henry on Busted Open Radio is that. Um, these aren't ways to fix something that is broken. These are ways to tighten the screws on something that is already good. Um, mm-hmm. I This is a very linear story, and I think it could have served with a little more delineation once Nick Cage goes on his revenge quest. Um, and also, ultimately, uh, this movie is a revenge movie, if I've ever seen one. Maybe even more so than Kill Bill. Um, which is like the revenge movie of our generation. Um, yeah. But uh, revenge is not a value I hold. I think revenge is futile and doesn't really solve anything. And so, mm-hmm. nah, it's ultimately like, I feel like I'm accessing something really cool that's not actually useful for life. Those are like, if I could find any flaw in Mandy, I would say it's those two things. And those are honestly just more my preference that I'm like, I would have liked a little less linear of a story. And I don't personally believe in revenge. I, I just don't think mm-hmm. it's something useful or cathartic. I, I think this tells a false narrative about revenge. It doesn't really serve the purpose you think it will serve. Um, but I also yeah. think it really knew what it was, so I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't think it was like trying to tell us how to live or how to solve our problems. Yeah. I think it was just trying to tell us a fucking cool ass revenge story, and so I'm very okay with it. I'm. I think we're on the same page as far as the revenge aspect mm-hmm. goes. Um, delineating the story, I think, would have disconnected me from it a little bit more, just because, like I said, I'm such a simple thinker, and I think there's so much to get out of this that I don't want to also have to struggle with the path of the narrative. Um, That's actually fair. That's a fair answer to my criticism. I have zero problem with that, but that's just the way I enjoy movies. Now that you're saying it, I'm actually agreeing with you. I might even even recant my criticism that I'm like, this was so unbelievably stylized and kind of dense Mm -hmm. Maybe if the story was any more delineated, it might have made it hard to follow. So I'm actually gonna I'm actually yeah. gonna recant that criticism because I think it really hit the sweet Aww. spot between being trippy and inaccessible. You know, like it, it, yeah. I actually, I'd never heard that that response, and I'm actually gonna say I agree with you um, and say really the only reason this isn't. Uh, functionally a perfect movie for me is that revenge is not a value i believe in (laughs) you know like and that's the main point of the movie is that it's kind of like revenge is satisfying and i'm like not really but it is a cool fantasy i i'm not gonna say i don't fantasize about revenge i just think it's a useless effort you know (laughs) like uh yeah for me again my response i'll respond to more uh i feel like this is a combination of revenge but also these guys really got yeah that's pretty fair you know 
it's not um, like a, a good people on both sides kind of story to <laughs> you know like yeah. it's like very clear-cut <laughs> innocence and evil so yeah yeah fair but back on that back on that last point really quick i think like even someone as simple-minded and straightforward thinking as as me um can get more out of a rewatch like i did this time like we discussed at length and i think that having a easier to follow narrative more encourages a rewatch i I have a better time sitting through it um or like i'm i'm pushed more to having a rewatch when i fully understand what i'm getting i guess is what i'm saying and then that leaves because i know what's going to happen and understand the story fully i can focus more on okay now i can interpret these visuals in a different way like like i said the scene where he meets mandy i kind of saw that in a different light because i understood that everything else that was going on already so my mind was more open to kind of make those observations these are all fantastic points honestly um makes me consider bumping up my critical score just a little bit higher because i already did while we were talking shit dog oh Oh, shit shit. fuck this shit let's before before we're both given this perfect scores let's just get into gimmicks (laughs) before we talk ourselves into it let's get denny what's your favorite margaret thatcher memorial moment of excessive violence for mandy it's not even the coolest moment of violence in the movie but when he stabs the scythe dick cenobite and they and uh he just pukes blood into nick cage's mouth um that is the moment to me where it's just the most excessive and the most gross and the most like we are watching a blood-filled movie moment to me dude and he wears that blood on his face the rest of the movie that's that's my that's my (sighs) margaret thatcher moment uh mine i had a runner-up and it was actually when brother swan got the dagger end of the axe handle uh it's another one of those moments that really solidifies like no no we're not done with those bloody moments like you just talked about uh, but my winner has to be when he immediately after cutting open big biker's mm-hmm. neck and getting blood all over him uh snapping skinny biker's neck oh. who ripped his shirt and nailed his hand to the floor earlier greg i just want to read my notes to you really quick i, I i'm i'm less reliant Please. on notes uh these days in, in the podcast but i want to hold on let me find it um And please note that this um, this killing was after Nicolas Cage yelled in this guy's face for ripping his shirt in one of the best line deliveries from Nick yep. Cage in recent memory. You ripped my shirt! You ripped my shirt! These are my notes. I, I wrote, Thatcher Terrific. moment, colon, puking blood into Cage's mouth. Next note. Or is it the spinning neck crack? <laughs> like, they were so great. <laughs> And the way they held on Nick Cage's crazy eyes right after he did it. Just looking so fucking pleased with himself. Um, Greg, what's your favorite line? I already gave you my runner-up, which was, you ripped my shirt. And my favorite line is, nothing's better than cheddar. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) 
Thanks, Cheddar Goblin. I've got I've got an out of left field runner up and an out of left field favorite line. I my, cannot wait. My out of left field runner up is not even a line. It is when Jeremiah Sand plays his record for Mandy, and she just laughs at him. Um, there is mm-hmm. something so empowering badass you know like she's asked him what do you see and she says i see the reaper slowly approaching which is fucking Mm -hmm. best line material in and of itself um right and just like kidnapped disoriented and unwillingly high out of her mind she knows that like her safety depends on pleasing this man and she's just like you're not taking this from me. I'm laughing at you and your shitty little song. Um, and that's just so <laughs> defiant and badass and cool to me. But my favorite line, Greg, is also a line that is not a line. It's a title card. Because it's a poem that really stuck with me. And I looked it up, Ooh. and it is a murderer's last words. In 2005, in the state of Texas, there was a murderer with a really generic name that he also uh, kind of shares with a famous basketball player, so it kind of took me a while to figure out who said it. Michael Jordan. Yes, no. Um, (laughs) He was um, addicted and stoned out of his mind. He, uh, I believe he robbed a store, stole a car realized he had no idea how to get out of the city he was in so he went to a parking lot and kidnapped somebody else at knife point and was like you're gonna get me out of this city um drove out like into the back roads um got in a fight with the guy and ended up killing him and then he was like whoa i have a drug problem (laughs) called 911 turned himself in and told them exactly what happened admitted to his crime and asked his lawyer to select a jury that favored the death penalty um he believed in an afterlife and he viewed the death penalty as a way out of living in solitude on death row and ending his suffering and Mm -hmm. just believed that it was a good enough time to go and that he had atoned for his sins by doing the right thing and turning himself in and recognizing that he had a problem and his last words before he received a lethal injection were the opening titles of this movie and they have just been in my head for days and i love them when i die bury me deep lay two speakers at my feet wrap some headphones around my head and rock and roll me when i'm dead It's the perfect title card to the movie and that is a fantastic backstory to the quote what too. a way to set the tone what mm-hmm. a way to set the tone <sighs> dude i just thought it was some badass rock and roll yeah, stuff. yeah i assumed it was like a grateful dead song i'd never heard and so i i thought it would have been like some rock and roll star like saying it on drugs or something or saying it like at the end of their career or life or something i I looked it up fully expecting to find that and wanted context for saying it was my favorite line 
and found out something truly wild like a crazy mm-hmm. ass story um so yeah greg what um uh, what's the best movie for when you want to satisfy your bloodlust well hold on what's your score oh for this shit movie? good call good call oh one real quick uh i did want to mention you had the title the title card is your favorite line i wanted to give some special love to the end credits for going completely silent yes. for a movie i mentioned how tired it is to have your 80s movie have a bunch yes. of synth this is one of the few movies i've ever seen have completely silent credits and for an 80s nostalgia movie to not even use any music not even synth music to yeah. roll their credits i give it a i give it a lot of it was love, a good so. ass call good yeah. good call really impactful um but my rating for this movie is a th- Ooh, hold on i had it at a 35 but i upped it to a 37 Ooh, out of 40 that is a high high rating from greg johnson ladies and gentlemen i had it at a 33 after our mm-hmm. first watch and i upped it to a 35 on the second watch and as we we're talking about it i bumped it up to a wow. 37 wow. out of 40 um pretty damn high so i talked a little bit about my uh my recency bias when we were doing dead alive this was a mm-hmm. movie where i tried to be aware of my recency bias um when i scored it and i i was like dude it's nicholas cage it's weird and it pays homage to so many 80s and 90s horror movies denny this movie is basically giving you a big old kiss on the lips and a bowl of free queso. You know, like, <laughs> it's probably not as good as you think it is. And since I saw it in 2018, I had it sitting at a 43 out of 50. And in this most mm-hmm. most recent rewatch, I bumped it up to a 47 out of 50. I think God I saw damn. it in 2018. It is now 2021. I think it is safe to say it is in the absolute upper echelon of movies made in all of history. The recency bias, if it hasn't worn off by now, it's not going to wear off. I watched it two times in the past ten days and loved it more (laughs) each time. And I'd watch it again tomorrow. And you can take that to the bank. (laughs) This is a 47 out of 50 for me very high praise very well placed high praise love this movie denny this is actually gonna be tough to pick a winner is Is it uh what's the best movie for when you need to satiate your bloodlust i want you to go first you know what i think there's only really one way to call this Mm -hmm. mm-hmm heads or tails because there's three okay (laughs) heads tails or abdomens and we don't make three-sided coins um you know what we saw a lot of movies that very successfully satiated my bloodlust but you know what greg Mm -hmm. only one of them earned it and that movie was mandy i'm going with mandy what's your pick (sighs) they earned the blood the other movies did it to do it, but Mandy told a story that earned it and waited patiently until it was time. 
And that's what sets it apart but from the other two for me. Lust. Getting something you're lusting after, you don't earn it. Ooh. If I'm lusting for blood, I just want Ooh. it. And I think I gotta give it to Evil Dead. Very, very fair justification. Very much so. Um, it's man we've said it a couple times before where the best movie we saw isn't the winner of the episode i'm gonna have to say mandy is the best of best movie we saw here and one of the best ones that we've seen for the show period but if i want to satiate my bloodlust and i've got people that are just like let me see some violence let me see some blood let me see some guts I'm going to put on Evil Dead. That's very fair, and I think it, it, it comes down to a personality difference. Vanessa knows this about me. I like the romance. I want the will they, mm -hmm. won't they. When I'm grilling, I would rather grill mediocre bone-in chicken than a prime cut of steak. Partially because I don't eat steak anymore, but also mostly because with a steak... It's over too quick. Bone and chicken takes a while. I want the journey. I want the romance. I want to be tantalized. I like that. It's part of it. And Mandy gave me that. But it's fair, because Mandy is not nearly as bloody as Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. And that's a I, very I, fair assessment. I can't, I can't argue with yours either, so... Okay different there strokes for different folks you say potato i say potato hot potato hot potato, hot potato. Hot potato. and an arrested development uh, reference to boots there we go denny what are we doing next week buddy? greggy 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 we've been watching movies sounds... that are too damn good lately and you're we right. just need to watch some fucking garbage before we bring it home in our in our spooktacular. Um, week five of six. Week five of six for our Jesus. horror series. This feels like a horror podcast at this point. I don't I care don't either. Care. I don't <laughs> I like care it. either. Um, next week we are doing. Um, what what did we title the episode? I remember the theme. Did we decide on a title? Uh, I believe it was movies for when you want to see the worst horror movie you've ever cool. seen. <laughs> movies for when you're having the worst there Halloween ever. There we go. Ever. Movies for when you're yeah. having the worst Halloween ever. And the theme of the episode is the worst horror movie that you have ever seen in your life. Holy shit. This is going to be fun. Greg, do you, do you have your pick yet? I okay. don't. I I, okay. I don't. I want to pick something that like, it's going to make me have fun with how much you hate it, but I also want to pick something that's not going to bore yeah. either of us. You so, know, we're not here to be bored. We're here to be like, God, what yeah. a load of shit. I'm I'm deviate. <laughs> I want to ruin your holiday like I ruined your Fuck Disney you. trip. <laughs> you made my Disney trip better. Um, <laughs> oh man. I'm looking at the just the bottom of the barrel of my Critiker. I'm gonna not pick one of the boring horror movies I've seen. I'm gonna Appreciate pick it. the worst horror movie I have ever seen that is also actually fun to watch. And it's available on Amazon Prime for 99 cents. I checked. 
I think the title will tell you everything you need to know. I'm ready to type it's it in. It's a movie I saw at the Video Vortex at Alamo Drafthouse for $1 on a Tuesday night Hell and yeah. left in a good-ass mood. <laughs> it's a movie called Night Screams. <laughs> sold baby <laughs> all right oh, greg you, you've not decided your pick yet no uh i will let okay. you guys know what it is on social media or rather yes. denny will speaking of social media we you could find us on facebook on, got, by searching for movies for when we gotta tell them how we're deciding our third pick and it also relates to social media by all means if they if they will have us we would like to extend our third pick to the We're Watching podcast. What is the worst horror movie you have ever seen? Take some time to deliberate amongst yourselves and get back to us, homies. Do your best, but don't yeah, bore please. us. Yeah, please. Don't bore us. Do your worst. Yes. Worst, but go. also fun, because the worst horror movies we've ever seen are also kind of boring. yeah follow us on twitter at movies for win just to conclude that thought um denny give me some corn syrup and some red dye let's pump out a uh catchphrase for us you got it greg for Greg Work, the Leg Work Johnson, I'm Denny the Talent Taylor saying, When we're buried, dead and gone, lay popcorn on our body's lawn. Put your favorite movie on. We'll watch it with you from beyond. <laughs> you ripped my shirt!